for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Wherever I wander, wherever I roam, I couldn't be found of my big home. Welcome to episode 11 of the Alabaster Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Dave Gershman, and I'm joined by Matt Klaas from the Weird Tronto area. Matt, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good, and it's funny because last week I, uh, I accidentally said we were doing Podcast 11 when we were doing Podcast 10, so I'm sorry about that. This is actually, this is truly Podcast 11. Oh boy, I hope that didn't throw a lot of people off. Yeah, I I actually got tons of, of hate mail and, and questions and confused people uh, writing about... Uh, the mistake, the simple mistake, and it's funny because our first ever podcast, well, we opened with uh, Matt Clausen from uh, from from Ontario, Toronto, and I, I kind of had a little bit of a flashback there. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a, that that was a disaster. Well, you know, I'm I'm so well loved by our listeners, and they love my delivery so much. I think that pretty much covers up for uh, any mistakes. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's true. And uh, I mean, listen, it's been, it, you know, it's been a really interesting week, Matt. Uh, you know, we. First of all, we have a great show planned for today, and uh, we, you know, we've uh, we've talked to Patrick Newman about um, about Japan in general and the things that are going on there and, and the season, and you know, it's 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 obviously a it's a horrific uh, thing, you know, that uh, I would, people in Japan uh, have had to deal with. But Patrick, uh, you know, enlightened us a little bit on it, and we're going to talk to uh, to Mark Carrig of the Star Ledger, Matt, and we talked and we talked a little bit about the Yankees, and, and that was fun. Matt, you were you were quiet once again there. I'm not sure why, but. Um, yeah, well, you know that's that's just me. I'm a quiet guy. You're a quiet guy. You know, you're. Uh, what was the Harry Truman? Or was the Harry Truman uh, uh, speak softly and carry a big stick? That's you. I think that was Teddy Teddy Roosevelt. Was it, was it Teddy Roosevelt? I think so. Yeah. Uh, well, this is this isn't a president's podcast. Whoever it was, it was it was a president from 1940 to 1960. I'll put it like that. And um, we oh, we're going to talk to Grant uh, to Grant Brisby of McCovey Chronicles. That'll be good. Grant's a, a, a great writer. He is. He's yeah. You know, uh, McCovey Chronicles is one of the best blogs out there. And, and Grant, uh, we had a lot of fun talking to him. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, you know so, uh, certain players in the Giants and uh, you know beards. We talked about beards. We talked about uh, the ballpark. It was a lot of fun. And Grant, you know, Grant's a, Grant's a great guy, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and Matt, you and I are going to talk a little bit about awards and uh, our picks. We're going to go back on our picks from a couple weeks ago, and and you know we're not going to change them big time, but if we feel we need to, we will. We're going to talk about some uh, some call-ups and some uh, and some demotions. Uh, we're going to talk about you know just the week in general, and we're going to preview uh, the season. And you know, you know, Matt, I, I know uh, I can speak for the two of us. Uh, we're we're extremely excited for the season. Uh, I'll be I'll be at Yankee Stadium in a couple of days. I'll be actually if you're listening to this today, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, I'll be at Yankee Stadium uh, on Thursday, which is tomorrow. And uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it, Matt. I know you might be at uh, the Rogers Center on Friday. Uh, yeah, I was hoping to go to a game this weekend, but you know, uh, my son is not feeling well, so I'm going to take him to the doctor on Friday. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, I hope it feels better. Uh, I hope it feels better. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be all right. And, uh, yeah, so it's going to be, it's going to be a fun show. And, uh, we, Matt, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I love this podcast so much that, you know, I talked to you about this and we decided that the best thing for the podcast would be to create a Twitter account for the podcast. That's right. And so, so we took initiative and we created BTB Score Podcast at BTB Score Podcast, and you guys got to follow that. Uh, we'll be, you know, I'll be, I'll be tweeting on not, you know, not too often, maybe a couple times a day about podcast updates, news, uh, 
you know, guests we're going to have on, just, you know, just some quotes, whatever. Uh, if you want to contact Matt and myself, uh, Matt is at devil underscore fingers on Twitter. I'm at Dave underscore Gershman. And Matt, you better uh, you better start getting some more followers, man, because I'm chasing you. I'm, I'm almost there. I know. Well, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm going to have to stop deleting spam bots. Yeah. Stop blocking the spam bots <laughs> so that I can keep ahead. I love spam bots. Yeah, I mean, they uh, they complete me. Spam bots are uh, – spam bots, you know, if I didn't have spam bots following me, I would have zero followers, I think. So you, you get a whole lot of at Dave Gershman – uh, from t- uh, from a Tina eighty two, hey baby, follow me. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and uh, you know, luckily I don't get all of that. I have I have some good followers. Matt, you follow me, and that's good. If you, that's right. If you want to email us your questions and emails, you know, last week we uh, we answered some emails. This week we're not going to do that, even though we got a lot of emails. Uh, yeah. If you want to send your your emails and questions, comments, whatever, um, send them to btbquestions at gmail. If you would like to download the podcast, uh, Adam Dorowski always posts a link for us on. On the site, uh, you know the podcast is also on iTunes. Matt, just search "Beyond the Box Score" or whatever you can su- you can subscribe there, or you can you know buy an episode if you if you do. Uh, well, you know they're all for free, so I guess I'm not sure what you call a, a free a free buy. I guess just a, a get it download download perfect. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, and you can also read the rave reviews. Yeah, listen, you know uh, we provide a podcast for you guys every week for free. The, the least you can do is is rate and review, please. <laughs> but only if it's nice. Only if it's nice. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, hey, Matt. You know, let's let's get started. And uh, you know, I talked to you a little bit about this earlier. And uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of players who you and I are keeping an eye on. You know, who are making us really excited about the season, especially. And you know, I'll talk about my guy in a minute. But you know, uh, let's talk about our picks first because we talked about division winners and stuff like that. We'll talk about that also. But we'll talk about that after. But you know, this is the time of year where uh, you know where our writers, prognosticators, fans, everyone picks the players who picks the players, managers. You know. The award picks, and uh, you know that's uh, and that's always exciting. It, you know, it doesn't mean much, but uh, it's it's always fun. So let's start, Matt, with uh, with you know, let's start with the MVP. And uh, last year, Joey Votto and uh, Josh Hamilton both won. And you know, I think I think the window uh, for for players to win this year is much is much bigger. I think there's it's not you know last year you you know you couldn't really you know most people picked Mao or Pujols or whatever. At this time of last year, and, and I think there's a much, a much, 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 much harder selection of, of players, and I'm not sure what you think, Matt, but uh... yeah, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, uh, it's hard for me to think about because I mean, are we talking about who's actually going to be the best player in the league, each league, or are we talking about who's going, who the writers going to vote for? Because you know, I'm like, I'm not going to rip on the writers, right. but those aren't always the same thing. Yeah, well, yeah, why don't you, why don't you just, why don't you say, uh, why don't you do one of each? Do one of each. Yeah, you know. Uh, Sure. So we're talking about MVP here for each league? MVP, and yeah, and the best player in each league also. Well, okay, the best player in the National League, I think every year you have to pick Albert Pujols. Well, because if one thing, true talent-wise, he is the best player in baseball. Right. Um, uh, if there was an MLB MVP, he would be the person you should probably win every year. I mean, Votto had the year of his life. Everything went right for Votto, and he was basically the same as Pujols, who was having basically, for him, his worst year in like, like – one of the worst years of his career overall, and he was still like a Hall of Fame level season. Yeah. That's how good Wills is. So I think he's going to be the best player in the league, and you know he could win the MVP. But you know the Riders get sick of voting for people. I mean, if you look at this, like in the '50s, Willie Mays uh, was pretty much the best player in the NL every year. Uh, Mickey Mantle was pretty much the best player in the AL every year, and they each only won like two or three uh, MVP awards. I, I should know off the top of my head, but I don't. Yeah. And so that's how it goes. Like that's why Bonds. I mean, Bonds should have won the NL MVP. Like. Ten times, but 
you know, you know, I think he made him one at six anyway. I don't, I don't even remember. So I don't know. And then I'll, I Pujols the best player, um, and I think he, uh, I think he'll, uh, he's going to be first. He'll be in the top two. But who would beat him? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I would say Tulo uh, yeah. has a good shot, except that I, I'm not sure he can stay healthy. Um, so I am going to go say something crazy. I'm going to say. If the writers are smart, it'll be Pujols or maybe too, too low. But I am actually going to say Prince Fielder. Okay. Because I think he's going to have a big year. Um, he's going to have uh, – that offense is good. They're going to have guys sitting in front of him. Uh, they're going to be in a playoff race, which people pay attention to. And and Fielder is a really good hitter. And if you buy the contract year thing, this is a guy who could be playing for a, a nine-figure contract. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna say uh, uh, I'm gonna say Prince Fielder is the MVP. Yeah, you know, and LMVP and uh, and and Pujols for the highest WAR or the, the best player. Yeah, you know, I still want to talk about your picks. I want you to talk about the American League, but before that, I just want to let you know my American League MVP pick is crazier, a million times crazier than than Prince Fielder being an NL MVP. Trust me. Well, I don't think I don't think that's actually crazy. I mean, Ryan Howard right. won well, it. Well, I mean, so, so so who's your NL MVP pick, and who well, do you think's the best? player? Well, yeah. We'll start. I mean, I, let's hear your picks. Let's hear your picks for the NL. Okay. You know, I, I do agree. Pools is the best player. Pools is is great. You know, you know, he's Pools. I think, you know, I've always, I've always been a fan of Hanley Ramirez. You know, he's he's, he's really a great player. And you know, the problem yeah. problem over the past couple of years, especially last year, he you know has been staying healthy on the field. And I know he missed the last couple weeks of the season. Um, you know, I. I've always said this, and I really, I really believe this. You know, even with their horrible play out of spring training, I think the Marlins are going to have a good year. Are they, are they going to win the division? Are they going to win the wild card? Probably not. But I think Hanley has a chance to be one of the top three to five players in baseball again. You know, I'm not saying he wasn't last year, but I think he really has a chance to, to you know, to have a much, much better season than he had last year. Even though it wasn't bad, it wasn't a bad season, um, yeah. but it wasn't a full season. And I think he's going to have a full season. And I think he's going to have a really, really good season. But I don't think he's going to win the MVP. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think Hanley is one of the best players in baseball, and I, you know, I, uh, that's, I don't think that's that controversial. Uh, Zimmerman is, is yeah. also up there, but I think uh, neither of them is going to win it because they, their teams just are so bad. And well, in the Marlins, no Marlin is going to win it because the writers don't like exactly. him. Exactly. Well, that's what I was going to say. Also. And, and also, let's face it, there's a little bit of a bias against Hanley among sports writers because he's perceived as not trying, and you know it's ridiculous. I mean, Hanley is unbelievably talented, uh, uh, but yeah, that's a great. He's a great player, and and, and who I uh, should have mentioned, but yeah, he's he's he he. He won't win it. I, I'm sure if Pujols wasn't around, he could easily be the second best player. He could, I mean, if, he could be easily be the second best player in the league. Yeah, I mean, in 2000. Uh, and, and, but he, but he, but they won't vote for him unless he does something crazy like hit 40 jacks. In 2009, uh, he had, I mean, he had arguably the best season in baseball for for any player. I mean, he didn't win the MVP because the Marlins, uh, you know, I mean, you know, you know, he didn't have that many home runs. You know, writers looking home runs, whatever. He had a tremendous, tremendous year. I think he had 24 home runs, 106 RBIs. I think he stole. 30 plus bases had an on base of almost 400 or over 400 or something like that, and he hit three, I, yeah, and he hit 342. Yeah, so I think he had a, like a 420 something. I don't know, it was up there on base, and he, I mean every stat you could look at, he, uh, I mean, he, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean he, he had he had a great year in 2009, and he still, I mean, in terms of at least uh, Fangraphs wins above replacement, still was like a win behind Pujols. Right, that's yeah. just, but that's that's Pujols. What can you say about him? I mean. Uh, I mean, it's weird. I mean, he's everyone knows about him, but 
Pujols is still, still underrated. Right. Yeah, sorry to be boring, but... Oh, no, not at all. So, so who's my MVP, you ask? For who's going to win the MVP, and who do you think actually... So you, who, well, who do you think should win it? Yeah, I mean, I think Hanley... Who do you think will win it? Who do you think should win it? I think Hanley should probably win the MVP. Maybe Pujols, whatever. I mean, those are my two guys who I'm really looking at this year. You know, obviously Pujols look at every year and you say this guy is amazing. I think Hanley is going to be the closest thing to non-Pujols MVP. But my MVP is... I don't know. Uh, let me think for a sec. I, I lost it. I had it in my head. Hmm. Well, actually, you know what? I'm changing it now. I was I was gonna say I was gonna say I was gonna say pools again, but I'm not gonna say that. You know, we'll get back to my AL MVP, Matt. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about your AL MVP and, and AL best player. I actually think they're gonna be the same thing this year. Uh, I got on a limb. I think it's gonna be Evan Longoria. I think the Rays are gonna be in the race. I don't know if they'll win. I think they'll be in it quite late. And I think he's the best. Pl- I think he's the best position player in the AL. Um, if he's not the best fielding third baseman in baseball, I think Zimmerman and Beltray obviously uh, have to be considered up there. And there, there are a couple others. Uh, I think he's he's really close to them. Uh, I think he's the best hit. I think he's probably the best hitting third baseman uh, in baseball. So you've got the guy who's one of the best fielders in his position, uh, who who is the best hitter in, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, at a at a premium position, and who's going to be playing on a contender? Yeah. So I think this will be the year people will vote for him. If they're not too turned off by the AK forty-seven thing. Right. And uh, I mean, I mean, well, we don't have to, Zimmerman's in the NL. I think he's better. I think Zimmerman might might have the edges of, as a fielder. Yeah. I think Longoria has a clear edge as a hitter. I think his numbers are, have been better over the last three years, and he's also hitting not only in the tougher league but in the toughest division in the toughest league in baseball. So. Uh, I think it's going to be Longoria for both of them. I mean, th- Longoria is like nobody's on Pujols level. Uh, uh, with all due respect to Joe Maurer and uh, Miguel Cabrera and, uh, you know, Kevin Euclid. I mean, I think there'll probably be some Adrian Gonzalez love because everyone's going to think he's underrated. I'm sorry, Adrian Gonzalez is not in uh, – he's a, he's a better hitter than Longoria probably. He's, he's – uh, maybe, maybe a fair bit, but it doesn't compare. He's a first base. He's a decent defensive first baseman. Longoria's an awesome defensive third baseman. Uh, yeah, Longoria's the best player in the AL. You know what's scary? He just turned 25 this offseason. Yeah. Uh, this guy, uh, I think he, both he and Zimmerman, uh, you know, you never want to predict it. Uh, I think these are two guys with realistic chances to be Hall of Famers. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was, you know, I, I, I told you earlier that my AL MVP pick is crazy. Well, that wasn't what I meant. My, what I meant was my AL rising star slash best player in the AL is crazy. My AL MVP is, is you know, I mean, it is Adrian Gonzalez because I think he, you know, you know, he obviously uh, he does everything. And most importantly, Matt, you know, as you said about the writers, the writers pick, you know, they have a bias. You know, he does play in Boston. He was the big offseason get. Uh, he, you know, he's he's a tremendous player. I think, I, you know, I think he's, I think the whole, uh, you know, Green Monster and Fenway Park, you know, dimensions thing is a little bit overstated. I still think he's going to have a great year. I think he's going to have a better year than he did last year. And I think he's going to have for, for, for much better average than, than you'd expect. And um, I, think he'll win, I think he'll win the MVP. I think, you know, obviously a Longoria is someone who you could look at easily an MVP candidate. Now, I'm going to tell you my best player in the AL, okay? okay. And you're going to laugh. But I got, I got to tell you, I've, I've been talking to people. I've been reading reports. I've been watching this player play. I've, you know, especially I've been talking to people who, uh, you know, who see this guy play a lot every day. In Arizona, uh, <laughs> Eric Hosmer. No, close. No, listen. I, you know, I, I this no, this no bias. I'm not. You know, you know, people who know me, they'll know that I like every team, not uh, not just one team. Alex Gordon. 
he, I, I hope you're right. I'm not you, gonna say anything. I've, I've, I've had. Sorry. Go ahead. He, I mean, he looks so much better at the plate. He, you know, everything. He looks so much calmer. He looks much. You know, first of all, um, you know, he, he's staying back on the ball. He's not. He's not getting out there. He's. He's not really pulling the ball as much. He's. You know, he's taking his time. He's. His. You know, he just his bad speed looks. You know, so much better than it did last year. Everything just looks completely better as a player, as a fielder. He looks really good. He just looks. You know, he, he looks really, really good right now, and I, and I, I mean, you know, everyone every year says, you know, this guy is gonna isn't a breakout. Listen, I'm telling you, this this is the year. He he's really he's really gonna do it this year. I yeah, I'm not gonna say anything. I've been jinxing that guy. You know, I'm an Alex Gordon fan. I've been jinxing him for years. But you know, I'll, here's why I'll tell you. Here's why Gordon might have a breakout year. I'll tell you the main reason. Because of the Bob Dunn thing. <laughs> no, no, because this is the first time. Uh, since he was a he was a he was a rookie in 2007 that he hasn't been on my five by five team. Wow. Okay. So that's definitely and, a good so, reason. So I had him and I let him go and I and I wanted him again in the draft because I thought he was going to be value, but we, no one wants to hear about my fantasy team. Uh, just saying, I didn't get him mm-hmm. in this in, in in my league here at home, and uh, and so uh, I think that's been I've been jinxing him for five. Well, sorry for four past four seasons. Uh, so that is great news for Royals and Alex Gordon fans. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, sorry. And bad news for Royals and Alex Gordon fans. I, I did draft Mike Moustak. So sorry. Ouch, ouch. Ouch. Well, you didn't draft Eric Cosmer or I tried. Um, and you know, yeah. And, and let's, uh, you know, so those are, those are the, those are the big awards and, and let's not, you know, expand too much on the rest of the awards because we got, because we got, because we have a lot of things to get to, but, uh, well, we got rookie of the year. Okay. Well, all right. Yeah. Um, and Cy Young, we gotta do. Yeah, let's do Cy Young first, okay? Because I have a lot of feelings on the Cy Young, especially in the National League. And I gotta tell you right now, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get it out there. My AL Cy Young pick is Max Scherzer. Ooh. Yeah. That's, a, that's. A, you think he's gonna be the best pitcher too? I don't know, but well, well, yeah. Why not? I mean, I'm not sure if he will, but you know, but I have no reason to say that he won't. Um, I love this guy. You know, he. Uh, I mean, listen, he he has he has two two. Uh, above average pitch his two two ace like pitches okay and then he has a couple of other pitches which have tremendous movement he has a fastball he has a sinking fastball he has a really good changeup, a really good slider um you know his fastball it touches 98 99 97 and it's up there you know it doesn't it doesn't you know it, it's consistent he has a, a really you know a very good arm angle you know he has break the ball comes out of his hand really easily and it and you know it gets batters off balance and that's that's the big thing but you know, if you look at the way, if you look at, at what he does, I mean, he 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 really dominates lineups. Has he been very good this spring? Absolutely not. But you know, spring training stats mean very little. I really think, you know, especially being at Comerica, uh, his, you know, his stuff is just incredible. He's he's going to have over a strikeout per inning this year. Um, you know, you know, that's my guy, Matt. I I just I you know I he's he's I think he's a third or fourth starter. I think he's a third starter, and uh, and, and he'll be you know obviously rotations uh, move around you know as as off days occur. Um, He's going to be pretty underrated, and that's the thing. You know, uh, he's you know he's very underrated. I mean, not many people know about him, and uh, and that's the thing. You know, are they going to vote for a guy who uh, who is the best pitcher and who uh, who plays for the Tigers and the Tigers are you know are you know they're always in the pack. Who knows that they're going to win the division? But even if they do, are they going to look at this guy or are they going to look at the ace of the Tigers, Justin Verlander, who we know is going to have a great season regardless? Yeah, the thing about I think Verlander is that kind of guy who uh, is always going to be like second place. Because he's so he's good and he's kind of underrated and yeah. he's in Detroit. There's always going to be one guy having some awesome season just ahead of him, whether it's Grinky or King Felix. Yeah. So so who's your guy? You know, Verlander's man. That's good. I've you know because I'd written that earlier that he seems like he's always second fiddle, which is no put down. Um, and I you know it's funny. I, 
Felix is probably the best pitcher, but it's so easy to pick the last one. So I, I would say Felix is probably the best pitcher just because because of age. Yeah. And his numbers are going to look good, but his team's so bad. I don't know if the rise will the stomach. But you know what? A guy who is weirdly underrated. Maybe I just don't know the scene enough. I think John. I think this is John Lester's year to win it. Yeah. He has been awesome. Uh, but he, like again, he hasn't been the best. But he's a lefty. I don't know if he'll be the best pitcher. It could be between him, Felix, and Verlander in the AL. But I think he. Uh, I think this is his year to win the Cy Young. I think he's going to win a lot of games. Which even though Ryder got off that, it makes a difference. He's a phenomenal pitcher. Uh, he's going to be very prominent. I think this is his weird. I'll, I'll just you know who knows. It could be anybody. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say this is his year to win the Cy Young, and uh, he may he may deserve it too. Mm-hmm. He'll certainly he, yeah. he'll certainly be one of the best again one of the best pitchers in the AL. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, uh, and yeah, and he always is. He stays healthy. He's a he's a tremendous pitcher. And my my National League guy is a guy who I've always thought you know has, has a little bit of similarity to John Lester. Uh, but I'll tell you this uh, before I say his name. Okay, um, there's there's a guy who's not going to win this, who's not going to win the Cy Young this year, but he could be one of the biggest breakout candidates. Okay, and that is drum roll, Matt, uh, Tim Stauffer. And you know he he's not going to strike a lot of guys out. He's not going to overpower many batters, and he's not going to win the Cy Young. He's not going to be the best pitcher in the league. But he he listen he he's he's really underrated, and, he, and he's pitching opening day. He's taking a big step. I mean, listen, if he stays healthy, uh, he showed last year that, that. I mean, last year he was one of the best pitchers in baseball, Matt. Yeah. Um, I think the Padres need him. You know, they need him as much as they need uh, Matt Latos. I mean, this guy. Uh, you know, he, he's gonna be a big part of their team. He he really really is a is a. I mean, his slider is arguably – it's one of the top five sliders in baseball, uh, you know, amongst starters. Mm. And I love this guy. But my pick is Clayton Kershaw. Really? Yeah. Why? Because, you know, I, I think, you know, you know uh, the progression that he that – he, uh, you know, I mean, he just keeps getting better. He's he's really mature as a pitcher. He's turned into – I mean, he's turned into an ace. And I just – I mean, I love his stuff. He, uh, he you know, he gets a lot of strikeouts. He knows how to pitch now. He's turned into a pitcher, not a thrower. And – I think yeah. it's, it's going to be a, it's going to play a big role. I think I think the Dodgers are going to score some runs for him. I think, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm picking Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. And who's your guy? Well, uh, for winning it, I think it'll be between uh, Halliday, yeah, Lee, Lincecum. Uh-huh. But I think the best pitcher and a guy who has a shot, I got to have is, is Zach Greinke. Yeah, wow. Uh, Josh Johnson's going to be. I mean going to be in the mix there too i think grinky uh i don't know if he'll win it because you know they're gonna say oh we played basketball we got hurt i think grinky's gonna be awesome yeah uh you know if you do think motivation was an issue with him i think that's overrated uh he's gonna have it i mean look the guy likes to, you know he's his quirkiness is overrated uh look grinky's great he's moving in i mean sorry the al central is not the same thing as the al east but it's tougher than any division that is tougher than the nl central he's gonna get the pirates and Astros a lot this season. And the Cardinals and Cubs aren't exactly marching out murderers rows either. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, the guy is going to, if you think that being on a losing TV, not the guy who loves to win, uh, Brian Bannister mm-hmm. said that Grinky was the most competitive person he's ever met. And Bannister's been around athletes and pro athletes all his life. I mean, uh, now it's going to be, that's questionable because it's a terrible defense behind him. But uh, this guy won the Cy Young with Unieski Betancourt as his shortstop. Enough said, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he's got him again. Maybe they had to be reunited. Uh, 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 I, I'm gonna say 
I, I mean, I'm biased because I think Grinky's awesome. This is a kid who's, I mean, this is the first time he's ever had an injury, and it's not even that big of a deal. I mean, it might take him a while to come back with it. People might want to vote for Halley just because they like him more. Uh, uh, Grinky, I think Grinky's my pick for the uh, for a, the best pitcher in the NL this season. That's interesting. And who's your, who are your uh, rookie of the years? Oh, I was hoping you'd go first on that. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's 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 interesting because there's so many so many players who are breaking camp and. There's a lot of. It really depends when they get called up. Yeah, and, and you know this is gonna. Yeah, well, yeah, well, exactly. Well, I'm saying there's a lot of guys who are breaking, who are who are you know who are breaking camp with the team, and and there's a guy I really like. Um, I think you know a lot of a lot of people nowadays. Uh, I look at you know uh, wins and I look at wins and losses as, as very little in terms of rookie of the year because they want to be cool or whatever. They want to, you know, be in the, you know, because it, you know if if reporter because they're sticks. That's a stupid stat. Exactly. Well, I think. I think I'm going to go with Michael Pineda. Yeah. Yeah. I either Michael. You're not. You're not worried about his flat ball. I mean, I really like Michael Pineda. I think. Uh, yeah. Um. I. I just really like what he does. I. I you know. He. Uh, he has. He has really good stuff. <coughs> Sorry. He has really good stuff. He. Does really good. Uh, a really good fastball. A good changeup. I mean, he's. He. He. He's. He's. Probably uh, one of the top three uh, most complete. Or at least closest to being complete, are rookie pitchers. You know, there's Helix and Drabeck. I'll tell you something. I saw Drabeck last year. He's not ready to be an ace. He's not ready to be the the great pitcher that everyone thinks he is. And th- there's a lot of problems with him. He's going to be a very good pitcher, but I don't think this is his year. I don't think it's it's just yet. Helixson has had injury problems. Uh, you know, I think he's going to be healthy. If he, if he stays healthy, he has a great shot. But but then again, he doesn't have amazing stuff. He has good command, but how many uh, good command guys, um, you know, uh, excel with uh, with a you know with a 90s fastball and stuff like that. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so, who's your who's your NL pick for Rookie of the Year? Well, that's a good question as well, and uh, I think I think my my NL pick would have to be. Wow, goodness. Well, what do you think? <laughs> I didn't pro- NL Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Uh, I think Brandon Belt's got a shot, depending on when he's called up. Yeah. Uh, the Giants are probably just gonna wait till June three. Um, it, it, you know, I can't. Did he? How did he even get? How much did he? I can't remember. I I, I didn't look it up. Did he play in AAA last season? Uh, he played a very little amount of AAA, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, he might need a little more time. I, I think there might be some worries about contact with him. The guy is a, is a great athlete. Well, not. A, I mean, he's a good athlete for a first baseman. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I think he's got a really good shot. I mean, there's no only Hayward and Posey totally had monster seasons. So I don't think we're going to necessarily see anything like that out of Belt or any other. Uh, and all rookies. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'll tell you. I'm going to tell, tell, I'm, I'm I'll tell you who it's not going to be. Oh. Uh, Matt Dominguez. Wow. Well, oh, I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'd say I, I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to. Th- I, you know, I'm embarrassed. Trying to think of who other NL yeah. rookies. Well, my, impact guy, NL my rookies. guy is Freddie Freeman. Yeah, I think Belt's better than him. A lot better than him. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I think Freddie Freeman is more ready for him. I mean, I think he has a better chance of of being a better rookie, having a better rookie season in terms of yeah. everything. You know, in terms of winning it. But I'm not. I, I don't like Brandon Belt that much, and I really think that that he's you know his stats were just too good last year to be true. He has tons of power, but it's a new swing. He actually just learned that swing a couple years ago, and I don't like him that much. I mean, I think he's gonna be a really good player, but I don't I don't think you know I think that people are, are overrating him a little bit, and that's just my opinion, whatever. But um, who is your uh, who is your American League guy? Uh, Lorenzo Cain. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't even know if he counts as a rookie, uh, uh, but. Uh... Oh, I had it in my head. With Pineda, he's a pitcher, so I don't know. Things go either way. I mean, he get lucky and have a really good year. I think there are concerns about uh, 
about his secondary pitches. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think it's not like he won't be good. I don't think he's going to be a monster ace kind of guy. Yeah. I kind of want to say JPR and Sibia. <laughs> That's an interesting pick. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think so. I mean, he's not going to get on. I think he's going to be like a rich man's John Buck, which is not a bad well, thing. I don't think he's either. I'll right. tell you who, I'll tell you who would win it. If he came up right now, or if they called him up and they played him every day, I have, I mean, I think Hayes Montero would win it yeah. because I think he's the best hitting catcher on the Yankees right now. I think he can out hit Posada right now. Yeah. If they had him BH every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, I mean, I know that's interesting. Just, he, class. he is, I mean, sorry. I mean, is it generic? Is it too predictable to rave about how awesome Montero is going to yeah. be? But he is going to be, I mean, God, the guy is, <laughs> the guy just turned, uh, just turned 21 yeah. and he killed it. I mean, in triple a last season, uh, and the, and the difference between him, I mean, he's like he's in, in, he's been in, in in pitchers leagues the last two years, way over his level. Uh, yeah. This kid is is scary good, but he's the Yankees. I, I would be surprised if he comes up before September, unless there's a really bad injury. And they, and I don't think they want to jerk around the best hitter in the minor leagues uh, by having him like play catcher twice a week. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He needs to hit every day. When they, once they call him up, he needs to stay up. I mean, even the Yankees, this isn't the guy who's a, hey, maybe he'll be an above average player. I mean, this is a guy who could be the next Miguel Cabrera yeah. uh, batting wise. So not men's hair. I mean, sorry. Does everyone just, uh, I mean, I guess everyone agrees. Is there anybody who doesn't like Montero? Any prospect person who doesn't think Montero, Montero is a, like the best hitter in the minor leagues? Oh, no, no. Uh, no, he's great. I mean, not he's maybe awesome. not the, not the best prospect. Yeah. I mean, just in terms of his hitting ability. I think Trout and uh, Trout. Well, okay, maybe, Harper. Maybe, I think Eric Hosmer is a better prospect, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'll tell you who's not yeah. going to win the the rookie of the year. I'll tell you who, who's one of the most overrated uh, rookies I've I've, I've seen in, in a long time. Uh, Brady Moss. <laughs> he's just a rule five guy. He's a rule five guy, but you know, but it, it seems like because because Dan Uggle is a rule five guy, and because both of them are second basemen. Yeah. Listen, Brady Moss yeah. is not a, he's not a second baseman. He's playing second base, but he's not a second baseman. If yeah. if he wasn't a rule five, pick, if he wasn't you know making the team like this, you know, it's a great story. It sure is, but uh, he's not a very good player. You know, he's yeah 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 yeah. I mean, he's the best option for the Mets, but it's, it's not saying a lot. Well, and, and, I don't think anybody thinks he's going to win the NL Rookie of the Year. Well, no, I, I'll say are, I'll say in the AL though. Uh, you know, it's tough to know. I should, you know, I, you know what? I'm gonna go with, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, JPR and Sibia. Okay. What the heck? I'll tell you who's, I'll tell you who could win it. But you can go either way. Mike Mustakis, uh-huh. obviously, is. I mean, I think, unless he bombs in AAA, yeah, um, he's gonna be up on June three or whatever the day is. Uh-huh. Uh, with Mustakis, I don't know. He could. I could see. I mean, obviously, the main thing would be for him to sort of, you know, be pretty good and then develop because he's really young. Uh, but he's also the kind of hitter where I can see him. I think what's most likely is that he struggles yeah. uh, for a year or two, and so I don't think he'll win it. But I could also see a thing where Mustakis just comes in and rakes, you know, just kills it this year, and then everyone gets excited. But but then the pitchers kind of figure out, and then he, he has a really bad sophomore second season. Yeah. Or I could see it the other way that he struggles this year, and then to, you know, like next year he takes off. Uh, I think Mustakis is going to be a good player. So I'm not putting him down. I I think I prefer as as, as Royals prospects. I prefer Hosmer and Myers. I'm not even sure we'll order on those two because I think I think Hosmer's the surest thing. I think Myers has the most upside. Yeah. Uh, Musak is just a different kind of player because he uh, is a power hitter. He's a is a contact hitter and he doesn't walk much. Yeah. Uh, so that's the kind of guy who might take some time to adjust uh, to major league pitching. So uh, he could be in there. Uh, uh, 
So yeah, that's a good chance. I, you know, Pineda, yeah, that's not a bad choice. I have my concerns. So, so it's kind of, we don't have the monster mm-hmm. rookies in the AL like there were in the NL last season. Yeah. I can, but uh, it would be fun if our NCB won it. Yeah, we'll talk about something else. Let's all, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, you and I are obviously going to be right about, about our picks because we're just, uh, you know, we, we get everything right, Matt. Um, that's right. I want to talk a little bit about a couple players who are making opening day rosters and, you know, who you wouldn't think, uh, you know, the first couple that come to mind are, are the Royals, and, and uh, they have five rookies on their opening day roster. Jeremy Jeffress, Tim Collins, Aaron Crow, uh, Jared Dyson, and uh, Nate Adcock. And Nate Adcock is a guy I like a lot. He, you know, he, uh, he beat the odds. But Tim Collins and Aaron Crow, I mean, this Royals bullpen has a chance to be pretty good. It's very young. Um, it has a chance to be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I think anytime you have a chance to add cock, you have to add cock. <laughs> um, uh, that's just a... It's just a no-brainer. Uh, I can't remember where they got him. Is a Rule Five guy? For the Pirates, yeah. yeah. He was a Rule Five guy from from High A, nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, you know what? What the heck? You know, I, I agree. The Royals uh, bullpen has a chance to be as good as it's been since 2008. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's a no-brainer to have Col- Collins is ready. Collins, uh, yeah. He could, be this, he could be. I mean, obviously, everyone knows the story. Uh, Collins, lefty strikeout machine. Uh, Jeffress, uh, he throws real hard. Uh, and I think people like his stuff. He's really small. Uh, you know, he, he, Jeffress? Yeah. Collins is, but well, I, don't uh, know, I didn't know that uh, of Jeffress. Yeah, Jeffress is, uh, Jeffress is uh, he's like 5'11", 6 feet tall, 6 feet. Yeah, uh, I think with him, they just don't want him to be subject to minor league drug right. testing. Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, but yeah, it could be good. I, You know, Robinson Tejada, I mean, we're talking about their bullpen. Robinson Tejada is really good. I think a little bit surprised that they didn't, uh, maybe they didn't get the kind of offers they wanted, given the contracts that have been given out to yeah. relievers. Uh, Tahad is a, real, a really good uh, – well, I should say really good. He's good and underrated, better than some of the guys who got three-year deals. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Collins, that's a good pick. You know, I, I've said, you know, Dayton's made some curious roster decisions the past couple of days. I think those are good uh, yeah. good picks. Who was the other guy you brought up besides Adcock and uh, – Aaron Crow, of all people. Uh, I think that's a bad decision. Yeah. Because, uh, I th- you know, look, I don't know. I, I know a lot of people who believe that he will not develop the stuff to be a starter uh, because his uh, he doesn't have a changeup, right? Yeah. I mean, or his changeup isn't any good. Not very good. So he has trouble throwing to, to left to lefties. He's got a good uh, – they, they really like his fastball and slider. But the thing is, uh, there's no point to this. Uh, the Royals – the Royals already have a good bullpen without it. The other thing, they're not going to win this year. So, look, if they don't if, – if they're sure – that he's never going to be anything more than a back rotation starter and want to move a reliever fine. I'm not, you know, leaving aside the issue of whether that should be done in the major leagues. Um, you know, this isn't going to help him. I mean, people say, well, maybe he's going to learn some pitches uh, in the bullpen. Uh, for one thing, why would you do that in the major leagues? Two, what's wrong with the Royals minor league system? They have to have him learn those new pitches with a major league pitching coach. Three, in the minor leagues, they'll throw him out there no matter how bad he's doing. In the major leagues, the managers and pitching coaches have to worry about getting fired. Right. Is, and if he's a reliever, what, what incentive is, does he even have to work? He's going to want to stay in the majors. What incentive does he even have to work on a secondary pitches? Right. And look, so why not send him to the minors? Look, they can always make him into a reliever next year. If they if give him one more year to try to figure out to be a starter, he's so much more valuable. That I don't I don't understand that move. Dayton uh, uh, the, the Royals seem to understand player development, but this is the kind of thing. It's just a weird roster management decision that doesn't make sense. This is the kind of thing that make us think, oh, even despite this minor league system, they're still going to blow it 
I mean, not this move itself. Yeah, I mean, what I, are they? Why why are they doing well, it? I'm not, yeah, I mean, I think Aaron, I'm not that that big of an Aaron Crow exactly. fan. Exactly. Well, yeah. I just think it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. There's no reason to do this. I think I think it's one of those things where you know if you know it's a gamble. If he you know I, I'm not sure it would be a that much better of a move to let him sit in Double A Triple A. I mean, I think you know I think it's funny because in terms of his timeline, in terms of his of his of his you know I mean if he if he pitched well last year he'd probably be on the opening day roster or he'd probably be on the roster last year if he had pitched well and. You know, it's one of those moves. You know, it's whatever. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think he's going to pitch okay, and it's going to be fun for Royals fans. And you know, it's we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, yeah. before we take a break, I just want to, um, you know, it's also it's kind of like the way the A's handled Tyson Ross last year. You know, they called him up and he didn't do that well. You know, if he doesn't do that well, if Aaron Cross doesn't do that well, they send him back down, and, and that's that. You know, I'm wasting an option, but whatever. Um, so let's take a break real quick, Matt. And when we get back. We're gonna uh, we're gonna talk to M- we're gonna talk to Patrick Newman of MPB Tracker. And uh, and you know we have a uh, we have a couple other guests after that Mark Carrig of uh, the Star Ledger and uh, Grant Brisby of the Country Chronicles and then you and I will I'll wrap have this I up now. So until then. The bare necessities of life will so come to the podcast you. and are being joined uh, by Patrick Newman of MPB Tracker. Patrick, how you doing? Not very well. How are you? I'm doing good, and obviously, uh, you know, as 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 Japan is in a horrific state right now, there's uh, there's no baseball being played, um, and the MPB actually delayed its start. And um, you know, talk a little bit about that. And you know, obviously, uh, I want to get you on to talk about the you know the Japan situation in general. And and you know, I mean, what's what's going on over there right now in terms of baseball? Well, so obviously, uh, there was the earthquake about two and a half weeks ago, followed by the tsunami, and that's pretty much devastated most of northeastern Japan. Um, you know, there's it, it's a pretty rough situation. A lot of people lost their homes, a lot of people in refugee shelters and high school gyms and places like that, and a lot of people um, that are, uh, you know, that did not lose their homes are without power and water. So um, there is one team in the area, the um, Tohoku Rakuten Golden Eagles, um, you know, the, the player that most of our listeners would be familiar with is uh, Hitashi Akuma. He plays for that team, mm-hmm. uh, and they did take some damage to their stadium. So, wow. um, so one team is directly affected, and then uh, most of the Tokyo area has been affected as well. In that, um, because of the nuclear power plant situation, there's power rationing going on. So, uh, something like um, something like 20% of the power in that region is offline. So. Um, so there's there's power rationing happening. So so that affects you know just anything that can happen really. Uh, so the effect of that on baseball is that the season would have started last Friday on the 25th of March, uh, and that that hasn't happened. They've uh, after some debate between the players' union and the owners, they've agreed to start on uh, April 12th, I believe. Opposed to when? Um, well, it would have been last Friday. Okay. So. Uh, so they're delaying the, the start of the season by about three weeks. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, and, and the other effect is that um, there won't be any night games played until uh, I think April 29th or April 30th, wow. so sometime around the end of uh, the end of April. So all the all the games are going to be played during the day. Um, the Rakuten Eagles, who I mentioned earlier, uh, can't use their home stadium, so they're going to have to find an alternative stadium. Uh, probably in the Osaka area. The last thing I read was that it was going to be one of the ones in uh, Osaka. Are there any? Is there any chance that you know? So let's say, so let's say a team like the, like the uh, like the Swallows, for example, have you know they're they're in a different part of Japan, obviously. Um, you know, even though the well, the Swallows are in Tokyo, so 
Um, the Swallows are in Tokyo, but they play in an outdoor stadium. So, um, so yeah, they're they're affected in that. Um, you know, they're they're subject to the power rationing that everybody else is uh, is subject to in that area. Well, yeah, I was going to ask uh, you. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you. I mean, is it is there a chance that you know teams like that, you know, you know, just any team in general in the MPB, is there a chance that they could have a, you know an attendance shortage by a huge margin or something or something like that? Attendance shortage. Yeah, I mean, like you know, is it you know are they going to be losing uh you know fans at the park? Um, yeah, I, I would say that uh, that's that's definitely a possibility. It kind of remains to be seen. Mm. Um, you know, all the all the games are going to be day games. So, you know, even during the weekdays, uh, so obviously people have to work and go to school and everything. So that, that limits the amount of time people have to go and watch baseball. Mm, yeah. Uh, on the other, on the other hand, there may be, um, you know, maybe people want to get away and kind of uh, take their mind off things and just relax with their baseball game a little bit. So, um, yeah, it really remains to be seen. I'm, I'm really not sure what to expect uh, with regards to attendance. And are there, um, you know, are there any contributions? Uh, well, obviously, we've heard of, of American uh, players, uh, you know, contributing money. I mean, I think Dice K and Ichiro both put out a combined two million dollars or whatever. Um, are any uh, players in Japan, you know, uh, putting out their own money to help um, to help, you know, uh, the disaster relief? Yeah, quite a bit. You um, Darvish put out about six hundred k. Most of the other contributions have been sort of in the, I would say, hundred thousand to three hundred thousand. Some of the um, uh, uh, that range. Uh, some of the the lesser known players have been contributing, you know, 10 to 30k or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Japanese Players Union put out about um, 1.5 million or so. It was about 120 million yen, and that comes out to 1.4, 1.5 wow. million. Um, the uh, what was I going to say? Uh, there's there's been some other. Uh, oh right, the uh, the Major League Baseball Players Association. It's either it was either the Players Association or Major League Baseball itself. Just uh, just announced a contribution of about 500,000, uh, I think, to the Red Cross. So uh, there's definitely contributions taking place from the uh, from the Japanese players. Mm. Um, the exhibition games that are taking place usually have some kind of collection uh, portion, you know, where players have meet and greets with the fans and yeah. um, and take contributions. So yeah, there's there's definitely people binding together and uh, and generating funds. Um, you know, obviously, Patrick, you have a lot of connections in Japan, and, and you know that helps you obviously write the um, MPB tracker. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to get this too deep, but have you heard anything about you know certain uh, you know uh, fatalities of uh, of you know families of, of players and, and stuff like that? Uh, there's been one, two, one or two cases of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, it's been the elderly players, or sorry, elderly family members, yeah. like a third string or fourth string catcher on the Giants. Uh, I think both of his grandparents uh, were killed in the, in the tsunami. Uh, there's been a few other cases um, of, of older relatives, uh, you know, having lost their lives. Mm. So, uh, that's yeah, that's, that's what I've seen in the media so yeah. far. Yeah, it is a shame. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, I want I want to ask you about this, uh, especially uh, yesterday we found the news out that Romulo Sanchez signed um, and he's going to play in Japan. You know, is there any, you know, is there any, you know, uh, is there any hope? You know, from that signing, is you know, is is is, is it like a is it like a sign that maybe Romulo thinks uh, things are going to be much better there and, and and stuff like that? Well, I don't know how much uh, Romulo put into uh, how much thought he put into that decision. Uh, I think that it would be tough for a guy like him to break in and and stick for a whole season with the Yankees. 
So, I mean, he's um, he's probably looking at a situation where he's going to go to a team and get a guaranteed uh, four to six hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Uh, you know, whether he's in the minors or the majors over there, it's a chance to play against better com- uh, competition than he'd see at AAA. Um, and a chance to take his career forward. Uh, so I, I think he's probably looking more at at that and kind of the glass half full of the mm-hmm. situation than um, you know uh, you know any any specific reflection on the macro situation in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't actually know what team he's going to. I talked to a scout yesterday, and um, he didn't he hadn't heard that Ronnie was signed in Japan. So um, I, I don't know where he's actually going to wind up. Uh-huh. I, I suspect it's with the with the Chiba Lotte Marines, but. Um, but I, I haven't seen anything in the Japanese news about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to ask you about this also. Uh, you know, uh, the uh, uh, sorry, a uh, Nippon uh, professional baseball, the uh, the MPB. Um, you know, it's a very it's a very structured league, and it's it's very exciting to all fans. Are there any significant changes uh, that might be made aside from the timing of the uh, you know start of the season and stuff like that? Well, we'll see. Um, obviously, the day games is a big change. Are you talking about uh, in response to the earthquake and tsunami? Yeah, or just, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. In response to the earthquake and tsunami. Yeah, I think. Um, well, so so one thing that that I've been meaning to write about, but I haven't found the time to, is uh, you know there was a big earthquake in 1995 in Kobe. Yeah. Um, that wasn't it wasn't as big, and there was no tsunami, but it still it still claimed I think 6,000 lives, and it was definitely a very dramatic event, um, and it was something that you know, was still a regular topic of discussion when I was living in the area like 10 years ago. Um, so uh, one of the things about that experience, though, was that, um, you know, the, the Oryx Blue Wave was Kobe's local team at that at that point in time. Uh, and they had a pretty good team led by Ichiro. And um, they, they had a great season. They won their league title and they made it to the Japan Series. They wound up losing, but they, they, they got there. Uh-huh. Uh, and they kind of... Um, you know, they, they kind of um, personified the uh, the resilience of the Kobe area um, after that earthquake in 1995. And in 1996, they actually won the Japan Series. So, uh-huh. um, you know, it's kind of a famous thing. They had uh, shoulder patches on their uniforms that said Gamboro Kobe, which means wow. like fight, you know, do your best, fight Kobe. Yeah. Um, and so, and so that's something that's remembered about that experience. And you can even get the throwback uniforms. They were um, that team wore throwback uniforms to, from 1995 last year for the 15th uh, anniversary of that mm-hmm. uh, that event. So, you know, if um, you know, th- it's not completely parallel to this situation this year. That earthquake happened in January, and there was you know a couple months to recover prior to the season opening. Uh, this time, the, the hardest hit area was um, was in Sendai, which is uh, Rakuten's local region. Wow. So, okay. um, so they have a chance, I think, eventually to uh, hopefully crystallize that same kind of recovery effort and, and come to personify it like Oryx did back in, in 1995. And, um, you know, they don't have an Ichiro-type player, but they have a chance to be competitive in the mm-hmm. league. And, um, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be my favorite to win it, but maybe now, uh, you know... Uh, maybe they'll have a little something extra. So just to paint a picture, you know, for our, for our listeners, you know, if you were to look at a map and, and, and see the country of Japan on the map, uh, are the Rakuten Golden Eagles are, are the most northern team? No, the, the most northern team is the Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters, okay. which uh, most people will know as Darvish's team. Yep. Um, Japan is, is broken up into, I think, three, uh, four, four major islands, and then there's a bunch of really small ones. I don't know how many exactly. 
Um, but if you look at Japan on, on a map, the biggest, largest uh, island is up, up in the, the north. I see. Okay. Uh, that's called Hokkaido. And then there's kind of kind of a long, narrow island uh, called Honshu um, that goes from north to south. And then there's two other smaller islands called Shikoku and Fukuoka. Um, and so um, Sendai is up in the northern part of Honshu, which is that the biggest island. I see. Okay, yeah. Long north to North to South. Yeah, I'm actually looking at a map right now of Japan, and I, and I definitely see what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so just to visualize it, uh, Sendai is, I think, about uh, 200 miles northeast of Tokyo. Okay. I'm used to thinking of this in kilometers. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it seems right. Yeah, I see that. It seems right. Yeah. Yeah, and they're they're close to the to the Pacific coast. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's where. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. And and are, you know, is there anything else uh, that you know? I mean, is there anything that uh, that we should know about you know about the situation uh, that we haven't covered so far? Well, you know, I think I think just just from a macro sense, it's going to take years to recover. Mm-hmm. Um, if any of the listeners are interested in making a contribution, uh, my family and I have donated to um, the Second Harvest Food Bank, um, which is a great organization in the United States as well. So even if um, even if you're not considering donating to Japan, it's something to check out in uh, in America. Uh, we've also donated to one called Save the Children, which is providing uh, care for children during the, uh, the recovery. Uh, and then I'm looking at another organization called Architecture for Humanity, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a, kind of like a Habitat for Humanity type, but not not limited to homes. Um, so that's uh, that's something to share. And. Uh, yeah, I think I think just from a baseball sense, uh, baseball will go on. You know, that's, huh. that's that's not in question. It's just a question of how to do it and what's appropriate. Well, I know it's a big shift from talking about uh, the effects of the earthquake in Japan, but uh, I was actually wondering, Patrick. We talked a little bit about it in uh, in Arizona, uh, but some of the things you said about uh, the Twins' new uh, well, I guess he's second baseman on Nishioka. Uh, what kind of comments you could offer on him? Uh, I guess the things you could talk about whatever you want. Uh, uh, his shift to second from shortstop. Uh, what kind, what style of hitter he is in terms of uh, maybe if you how, how you think he'll adjust to the game. You know, if his you uh, talked about the differences between the typical. Uh, 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 I mean, the average Japanese swing as opposed to the average uh, American swing, and how that affects the transitions. Uh, how, what he's like defensively. What his tools are like. And uh, and I, but but uh, most of all, maybe this last or first, uh, his uh, how his personality <laughs> and idiosyncrasies. <laughs> you talk about those a little bit and how that'll fit in with the twins. Okay, so a lot to cover there. Uh, I think uh, first of all, it seems like he's really had a good spring. Um, this is based mostly on what I'm seeing in Japanese media, um, and from what I hear, the twins are, are really happy with him. And I, I, I actually happen to know his translator, so. Um, and, and I've heard from his agent that uh, things are going well so far in the spring, so that's a good sign. Um, so I think the cultural adjustment hopefully will uh, will suit him well. Uh, from a baseball standpoint, um, I'll start defensively because I think that's his strongest uh, strength. Uh, so the switch from shortstop to second base shouldn't be that big a deal for him. He played second base early in his career with the Marines, um, so and he won a Gold Glove there. So. Uh, I think he can handle it defensively. Um, from shortstop, I always thought his arm was a little bit erratic. Um, when he has, when he when he stops and sets himself and makes a good throw, he has a pretty good, pretty good, accurate arm. 
but I thought that he had a tendency to kind of skip uh, skip balls off the AstroTurf uh, at his home stadium. Uh, most of the uh, most of the parks he played on had uh, had uh, AstroTurf services, um, so there was a little bit of an adjustment there. Uh, but anyway, I think uh, playing second base is probably uh, a good move for him. Uh, you know, shorter throws. Uh, he'll have to learn how to you know uh, make the pivot. Uh, on turning double plays and things like that. But he's a good athlete. He can do it. Um, I think just learning the tendencies of the different base runners and the different hitters, I think, will be just the biggest adjustment to make. Um, but he'll be good at second base. I feel pretty good about saying that. Uh, at the plate, uh, he's a switch hitter. Uh, he wears that double-flapped helmet. So, uh, um, you know, it won't be too much of a transition from Orlando Hudson. Mm. And Hudson <laughs> still wears that, right? Yeah, yeah he does. Yeah, he He's, yeah, he, he still does that, doesn't he? So, uh, so yeah, he's a switch hitter. He's a real slap hitter. Um, he hit he hit uh, about a dozen home runs last year, I think, uh, in Japan. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I would not expect that power to carry over very well, um, particularly in the in the Twin Stadium. You know, in the, um, yeah. the, the Twin Stadium. Does that play as a as a pitcher's park? Or does it, does yeah, it, yeah. What's the park? It was a big time. It was a big time pitcher's park. Yeah, there's uh, no reason to home run this year. <laughs> but well, but well, but that might play if he's a slap hitter. That might play into his game too, because the main thing it does. I mean, there there are hitters' parks that suppress home runs, like Kansas City, whereas this is a pitcher's park that does. But but it also, I think it might inflate balls and play a little bit, which might play to his game. I mean, for a guy like him, it doesn't really matter home run fly you know if it's a home run park if he's if he's that much of a slap hitter i mean who cares i mean he's not exactly well, you know he's not going to have a lot of warning track outs anyway yeah i, I don't yeah I, I think you're right about that and I, I, the other question i'd have about the twin stadium is it is it a home run park because it's cold or is it a home run park or is it i'm sorry a non-home run park because it's cold or because it's big or both it's pretty big yeah yeah i think i think it's a little bit of both and of course we'll see what happens that they have did, I, I don't know if you guys read about this. Uh, Nyer had a couple of good posts on this. They just talking about it. They 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 changed the hitting background. They used to have a bunch of trees instead of mm-hmm. the generic black. You know, it, where in the hitting background, and naturally the hitters complained, and then the the club gave in. I mean, you know, as a hit, if I was a hitter, I could understand. But I think every park kowtowing to the well, I, you just see that a lot. So so that might have been an issue. But I think it's mostly size and 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 climate. Yeah. Yeah, I remember at the Metrodome they yeah. had the uh, they had the air conditioners uh, blowing out when the Twins were batting to help the uh, to help the Twins uh, hit home runs. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Hey, Patrick, I want to ask you also about you know. Um, about those, you know, about the difference in baseballs, obviously, you know, is there, is there such a, is there, you know, I know you're talking about it before. Is there a chance, um, you know, that, that, uh, that a pitcher can, you know, can struggle with the different, uh, um, size or at least, you know, are the, are the seams the same or, you know, is it just the size of the baseball or is there, you know, like what pitches, uh, does it affect the pitcher with? Now the seams are definitely higher on the Japanese ball. And this is a, I, I meant to complete this thought earlier, but, um, uh, Japan uh, actually adopted a new ball this year, uh, and it's it's a lot more similar to the major league ball. So, uh, so that'll be a difference. Um, that'll that'll be a difference in the league this year. Uh, the other thing is that uh, previously to this year, uh, every park could use its own ball. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, basically every team could use a different ball if they choose to. Wow. Um, I don't know. I don't know how many variations there actually were, but there were definitely some stadiums in the past where. Um, where the, the ball would seem to fly farther than others. Um, the other thing is gun readings would would, 
vary wildly from one park to another in some cases. There's a, there's a couple of real outliers, and I always thought that was because of the hot gun, but it may be because of the ball even. Um, so this year they're switching to a to a uniform ball across uh, across all the stadiums, across all the teams. Um, so so that'll have some effect. It's supposed to be a little bit bigger. Um, the the Yomiuri Giants were worried about the uh, uh, the effect it would have on their power hitters. Uh, at one point in the spring, uh, the the entire team had not hit a single had not hit a, a single home run over the course of spring training. Uh, I would assume they've hit one by now, but I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how much power they've shown so far this spring. Um, so yeah, so I think in the future, for future pitchers that come over, there'll be less of a transition to make there. Um, but for a guy like, um, actually, for well, I, I think the only pitcher that came over this year was uh, Tatiyama for the uh, yeah. for the Rangers, and he didn't make the team. Um, yeah, I agree. So for a guy like, yeah, so for a guy like that. Um, you know, it would be a difference. But for a guy like uh, Iwakuma, who will probably come over next year, he'll have a year of experience with this major league style ball, mm-hmm. so it won't be as big of, a, of an impact. Can I ask? If I could just ask, Patrick, you may you may or may not uh, know this. I I don't know. Do umpires rub down the balls there like they do here? I don't know. Because that's, you know, that's, that's a, in- a very good question. Because that's interesting. Because you know, started here. If I don't, I might be forgetting uh, after Ray Chapman was killed. Uh, in 1920 uh and they talk because they used to just leave balls in play that were scuffed and stuff and it, it goes beyond just the illegal pitches right and mm-hmm. it's other stuff but part of it was the pitchers you know the pitchers would complain that they were lacquered too much or something so that's sort of where the practice started and who knows maybe that's a difference too uh but of course now we're getting into physics and stuff but yeah. it's just curious because those are you know those are local traditions that uh, start up and yeah, you know, I, I actually I wouldn't have known about that unless I had uh, read about that in a in a White Sox program when I was a kid. I think it's called Radborn rubbing or Blackborn or something Radburn. like that. The first <laughs> umpire, yeah, the first umpire that ever did that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never thought to ask that to anyone. Well, hey Patrick, just a few more things before I let you go. Uh, you know, obviously, Matt, I'm not sure if if you heard this, but the season is is going to start uh, several weeks later. It's going to start on the 12th now, right, Matt? I mean, uh, right, Patrick? Yeah, April twelfth. And you know, could you just give us a, a little preview of the season in general, and, and you know, uh, like which teams are going to be uh, expected to compete, which players uh, are we going to hear about, which players are we eventually going to hear about coming to America, aside from Iwakuma and Darvish? Well, so um, I guess the first thing to, to mention is that Japan is broken down into two leagues, mm-hmm. uh, the Pacific and the Central. Uh, each team, each league has six teams, so they're uh, about the same size as a, a major league division. Um, the the Pacific League will start there. Uh, the Pacific League is uh, a lot more balanced than the Central League. I think uh, all teams have uh, a decent shot of uh, of competing. Mm-hmm. Um, the top the top three teams in um, in each league go to a playoff system. It's kind of a kind of a weird playoff system, but um, that's how it is. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of talent, a lot of competitive parity in in the Central League, and every team has a chance to to be competitive. Um, another interesting thing is that uh, it's it's potentially the last year for a number of star players. Uh, Iwakuma, I think, is obviously going to come over um, at the end of the season. Uh, you know, the rumors just don't go away on you, Darvish. I don't know if this is the year for him or not, but uh, eventually, I think he'll come over. Um, there's a couple of other lesser-known guys as well. 
Um, so, so there's going to be this kind of changing of the guard that happens from the current crop of star players, star pitchers particularly, uh, onto a younger uh, set of guys. So, um, so it should be interesting from that standpoint. Uh, in the Central League, um, there's uh, there's four teams that are going to be competitive: uh, Yomiuri, Yakul, Junichi, and Hanshin. Uh, and then there's Hiroshima, who might be okay. And then there's Yokohama, who's going to just be absolutely terrible and probably lose over 100 games wow. um, out of 144. So, wow. Um, yeah, they're, they're going to be pathetic. Um, so I think that the big storylines will be, you know, whether some of these aging lineups can continue to produce. Um, you know, Matt Merton had, had an unbelievable year last year. He hit about 350 and broke Ichiro's hits record. Um, you know, Merton has been in Japan all spring, obviously, with Hanshin, uh, and he's kind of he's kind of done everything right in, post, in the, in the post-earthquake, uh, yeah. you know, Japan. You know, he said all the right things. He said he's not leaving Japan. He's going to stick with it. So he's, uh, he's, I think, really endeared himself to the media there. Um, so he's got a lot of people behind him. Hanshin would love to keep him. I think he'll probably want to come back to the majors, but uh, we'll see what kind of season he has this year. I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching him. So, um, yeah. so yeah, it should be an interesting season. Well, it definitely should be, and uh, and and we know you're excited. Uh, you know, it's been obviously, uh, obviously, Patrick. Um, you wish that this that the season had started when it's when it was supposed to start, but it obviously didn't. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully things go well there, and hopefully things uh, get better in Japan, and, and the season will start soon. So that's good. And hey, uh, if you want to follow Patrick on Twitter, he is at NPB Tracker, and you could check out uh, Patrick. Is it is it called a site or a blog? I'm not sure what to call it. NPB Tracker. Uh, you know, they're all websites, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a website. It's, it's mpbtracker.com, and it's it, it's all the MPB coverage uh, from Patrick. And, and hey, Patrick, you know, uh, I'll definitely get you back on in a couple weeks once the season starts. But uh, but for now, I mean, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, anytime. Good talking to you, Patrick. Podcast now being joined by Grant Brisby from McCovey Chronicles and, and Grant, how you doing? Doing well. How you doing? I'm doing good. And you know, obviously, as, as spring training uh, you know winds down, it's about to end in a couple days, and um, the Giants are actually playing uh, playing the A's tonight in San Francisco, and that's always exciting, isn't it? You know, the, the Giants coming back home and playing uh, at AT and T. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's I mean, it's kind of. Um... You're still waiting for the the regular season, so you're a little antsy, and these games are are kind of a tease. But it, it's still pretty cool to turn on the TV and you've got a baseball played at the place where you're expecting baseball to be played. So yeah, for sure. And uh, as you know, also as as the season's about to start, uh, there's you know there's not many questions uh, about the Giants except for the except for Brandon Belt, and, and you know he's everyone's been talking about him. Uh, what does that situation look like right now as to as to his uh, you know uh, whether he'll be in the opening roster or not? Uh, they haven't made it official. Uh, I haven't read anything where it, it's guaranteed that he's going to be sent down, but it's it's pretty much guaranteed he's going to be sent down. I, on a different team, different roster, different year, I could see the case for really fighting to put him on there. Um, but the Giants really, even with Cody Ross's injury, I mean, they, they have a pretty full outfield, pretty full bench. Uh, you know, you're not going to bring Brandon Belt up to, to sit on the bench. So basically, you're going to start him at first, and you're going to put Huff somewhere else. And when you put Huff somewhere else, uh, you're you're putting, um, you know, are you putting DeRozan left? Are you putting um, Burl on left? It, it, 
he's he's pretty much gonna be sent down. Also for service time issues too. I mean that that's kind of the unspoken elephant. But uh, yeah, he's he's almost certainly going down. Yeah, I mean I know that a lot of you know um, McCovey Chronicles. For those of you who don't know, is is one of the best blogs out there. Um, and and you know obviously all the, uh, a lot of the Giants fans who who comment and who hang around there are really knowledgeable. And is the consensus grant about Brandon Belt? You know among among Giants fans at McCovey Chronicles, uh, do they think it's the right idea to put Brandon Belt? Uh, you know a couple months in AAA? Is is that is that the consensus? Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of the people on there are, are pretty pragmatic about the whole thing, uh, as far as they understand that you know sending him down for at least a couple of weeks in the, the beginning of the season would add possibly an entire year of service time um, where he before he becomes a free agent. Um, others want to keep him down even longer to prevent him from from becoming a possible super two status. Um, you know, I'm actually I'm less pragmatic. I'm, I'm a little bit more. Uh, um, you know, win now, and, and, and yeah. I sort of think that if Brandon Belt's the best player and he makes the best roster, you know, heck, put him on there. But I understand that he he might not be. You know, it's he doesn't have a whole lot of at bats above Double A, so he might not be the the best shot. Mm. And uh, you know, Aubrey Huff is is a guy who uh, who you know a lot of people have said that you know maybe you know maybe if Brandon Belt makes a team out of spring training, Aubrey Huff uh, will be playing in left field. And there's also reason to believe that he might be playing left field anyway. You know, if uh, if Pablo Sandoval plays at first and DeRosa at third, whatever. I mean, is um how does how does he you know I know you mentioned the outfield situation a couple of minutes ago. How, how does it look with the with the crowded outfield and and stuff like that? Well, you know, once Cody Ross comes back, it'll be interesting. Um, Huff looks fine, or he looked fine last year in left yeah. field, uh, so I don't have a problem with him playing left. Um, Pat Burrell was kind of a clomper around there, but uh, he, he did okay. I mean, he didn't swallow his glove or anything last year. Um, but it's once Cody Ross comes back, um, yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to shake out. I mean, really, the Giants are playing Pat Burrell bench money, uh, so if, if he were to get off to a slow start, I can see them uh, very easily moving Burrell to, to kind of be the lefty masher off the bench. Um, but I, I think Aubrey Huff's going to be playing first base uh, probably until the, the middle of the season. If Belt starts raking in Fresno, he'll come up, but if not, they'll, they'll probably keep down for for a good long while. I read one of your uh, I read one of your articles today on McCovey Chronicles, and, and you were talking about how you know people need to just uh, you know put behind the whole you know uh, Pablo Sandoval's best shape of his life. You know whether he is or not. You know how would you how would you preview his season? Now? What is I mean aside from losing weight? You know obviously uh, how he did lose some weight, um, but you know losing weight doesn't always make everyone a better hitter. You know Matt Stairs lost uh, I think 30 pounds last year, and, and he hit worse. You know in terms of just uh, Pablo Sandoval in general, how does he look uh, for the upcoming season? I mean, he, he he sure looks fantastic. Yeah. I mean, when you see him out there, especially in the field, I mean, he's he's making plays, at least in the spring, that you weren't expecting last year. And I'm of a couple of minds of it. Or, you know, there's a couple of different ways I see it. I think last year, I think his biggest problem was that he was just, just hacking. Mm-hmm. And he was he was really going after the, the high fastball and not making contact. I mean, he was he was adept at, in 2009 at making contact on bad balls, and last year that just wasn't the case. Um, it was, you know, swinging through the high fastballs and uh, really chasing awful breaking balls. Um, but I, I think, you know, so that's, that's one of the things that I thought um, contributed to struggles last year, more so than the weight. Uh, but when you look at him this year, I mean, you see a dedication, you see a, a brand new body that, that's just... It's it's really hard to believe it's the same guy, and I don't see how that can really hurt him. I mean, especially in the field. Yeah, I want to talk about uh, about about one more position player, then I want to talk about pitchers real quick. And, and you know, uh, Andres Torres. Um, you know, I, I think I heard somewhere that they were that the Dodgers, or sorry, that the Giants were were uh, were skeptic as to playing him in um, in the opening day lineup against the Dodgers. You know, I'm not sure about that, but um, 
is Andres Torres going to be a you know an everyday player this year? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, there was some talk um, by Bruce Bochy in the beginning of the spring that well, maybe Aaron Roan can win his job back. Um, I I don't see that can happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it, Torres was so good last year. Both, I mean, even if you if he didn't have the offensive breakout, he was pretty amazing in the field. Um, but you know, and he had the offensive breakout. I mean, he he's a, a strong, you know, surprisingly powerful guy, tons of speed. Um, he, he could work on his patience a little bit more, but he's he's a pretty good player. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? Uh, is that your cat in the background? I hear a cat. Yeah, that's that's my cat. That's it. Uh, that's Hitchcock. I'm, I'm throwing things at him. Can you can you hear the magazines I'm throwing at him? I can only hear the I can only hear the meowing. <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's uh he's some he's a jerk cat. Yeah, well, I mean, if he if he could talk, I'd ask him not you know to join the podcast, but he can't. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I want to talk a little about the bullpen and, and the bullpen last year for the Giants was was it was amazing and you know. There's there's reason to believe that it's you know there's there's a lot of reasons to believe that it'll still be really good this year but not as good and you know Santiago Santiago Casilla has not looked very good this spring Brian Wilson has his injury can you talk a little bit about you know the Brian Wilson injury first and and how the bullpen situation is, is expected is expected to play out this year especially with uh, you know some players coming back from injury Dan Runzler spent a lot of last season uh, unhealthy and stuff like that. Yeah, you know for sure. I mean it's it's not a good thing to lose Brian Wilson for sure. Um, but I mean, I think it, a lot of it—it's not the—it's not the panic time. I mean, a lot of people are, are really kind of freaking out about it. The only thing that freaks me out is that you know, oblique muscles are, are famously kind of tricky and, and, and weird and hard to heal. Um, but the report today was that it was pretty good, and he was—he was throwing with, with less pain, less discomfort. Um, but I think losing a closer for the first couple of weeks of, of April—it's uh, not nearly as important as you know, losing the a closer towards the postseason or in the postseason. I mean, that's when you really start relying on those guys. You start bringing them into the, the eighth inning and the, the crucial situations where you might not do it in the regular season. I, I just can't see where the difference between Brian Wilson and, and Sergio Romo or Jeremy Affeld is going to be that huge in the first couple of weeks. And uh, Barry Zito and Barry Zito's the situation. Uh, you know, is he is is he uh, going to be, you know, is there a chance that if he opens the season and, and pitches – Poorly pitches uh, badly. Is he someone who who could be uh, you know even released? I wouldn't think so. I mean, I would think it would take a good year of Barry Zito being completely terrible for him for them to even contemplate anything like that because mm. he's he's been a pretty functional guy, uh, pretty functional starter for the past couple of years. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been worth twenty million, but he's been uh, he's been a, a you know pretty pretty good bottom of the rotation starter. Um, and uh, the other thing is that the Giants just don't have anybody in the wings to replace him. I mean, unless Eric Surkamp has a, a crazy year in the minors, I mean, you're really looking at Ryan Vogelsong. And if Jeff Supan accepts a, a minor league assignment, which I don't think he would, I mean, those are the people you're talking about bringing up. So if you're really going to eat the remaining $60 million or whatever it is, you, if your better option is Ryan Vogelsong, I mean, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So it's going to take a lot for Barry Zito to pitch as well off the roster. Yeah. Hey, Grant, I want to talk a little bit about McCovey Chronicles in general. And, you know, you you uh, you created the blog – well, you, I mean, you're the founder of the blog. And you created it a couple of years ago, and it's quickly become, uh, you know, the most, uh, the most popular Giants blog and one of baseball's most popular uh, team blogs. Talk a little bit about the, you know, about the rise of McCovey Chronicles and, and just, you know, and just the site in general. Uh, yeah. After uh, 2002 season, I, I just wanted to, to practice my writing, and I, you know, I, I thought I was a writer. I was, I, I took a uh, hundred different courses when I was going to going to college, uh, creative writing, and I, oh, you know, someday I'm going to write the great American novel or the screenplay, but I, I never did it. I just, you know, just sat on my ass the whole time without writing, 
and I, I never, ever practiced. And it seemed like when I would get on the Internet and, and start conversing with people uh, about the Giants, I could, I could spit out a thousand words, no problem. Um, so it was really started as a way for me to um, – it was waiting for Booth back then, uh, a way for me just to sit down, write about something I felt about comfortable writing, and just kind of get my words out there. Um, I really didn't think anyone would read it. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And then when they, they started SB Nation, uh, mine was the first site other than, than Athletics Nation to, to go live. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and they, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was kind of official with the contract, and they're expecting X number of posts per week. And um, even though they're, you know, somewhat flexible, there was still this kind of um, uh, impetus to write that I didn't have on my own before. It was kind of like, well, you know, they're expecting this from me. And then as people start to read and they were expecting daily posts, I started to feel kind of an obligation to write in that respect too. Um, so that's been the biggest reason for um, me keeping going is just I, people are expecting me to, to have something every day. And, you know, it, it, that's what that gets me to write is, okay, people are expecting it. Mm-hmm. You know, let me, let me see what I can uh, reach down and, and pull out. And do you have, do you have like goals and expectations for your other writers as to getting posts out, you know, daily and, and stuff like that and, and making sure that, you know, there's always, uh, you know, a post coming out at a certain time and whatnot? Well, you know, I, I, I'm just entering the, the world of, of having another writer. Um, I just added uh, JT Jordan, who used to write for Triple Sally. Um, he, he contributes to Hardball Times, and uh, he, he's going to be the designated stats guy um, because I'm not very uh, statistically adept. Um, so, you know, for six years, five, six years, whatever it was, it was pretty much wow. just me on the site. Um, you know, and I would do something every day. Uh, both in the regular season and the off season, in the past couple of years, I would do the post game stuff too. Um, so it was really kind of, you know, now that I look back on it, it stretching myself a little thin, uh, but it was just natural to me. I'd, I'm such a control freak that, that it's hard for me to <laughs> give the reins to someone else. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm not sure why I thought that uh, that there were a lot of other writers. I guess because on the masthead, there's there's like a, you know, there's like ten other names or whatever. But, uh, yeah, mo- mostly moderators. Mostly moderators. Gotcha. They gotcha. Call dirty work behind the scenes. <laughs> and you know, are there any are there any uh, expectations or goals for you know for the site itself uh you know going forward uh not i mean you know to be the best darn giants blog we can be yeah. i mean for sure but uh um you know i want, I want to get more into podcasting uh, I'm, I'm gonna have the opportunity to post a lot more in the coming future um it, one of my goals was to add a statistically oriented guy i did that with jt and and i'm looking forward to that um and and i'm kind of caught in the uh I, I really don't know what to do when it comes to requesting more access or more uh, team access interviews with uh, you know front office people, things like that. Part of me, you know, I used to be uh, really adamant that no, you know, I'm just going to completely keep it separate because my my uh, my niche is is as a fan based writer. Mm-hmm. I, I want to write from the perspective of a fan, and the second I get access or I start. Uh, getting interviews then maybe I feel like I'm beholden to some people or I would be less willing to, to rip someone for on-field performance, things like that. And I like to, I thought that was kind of my niche, not to rip people, but to just be honest uh, as a fan. And now I'm starting to think, well, you know, shoot, you know, maybe it would really add value to the site if I had that still, but then try to get more access, try to, you know, leverage my position to, to get more interviews and, and more interesting content. So I'm caught in the middle there. So aside from, you know, I mean, I mean, there's so many uh, unique things about McCovey Chronicles, you know, especially, uh, you know, the poking fun, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it's fair fun. It's not, you know, it's not like uh, mean fun. It's, you know, poking fun at Bruce Jenkins, for example. And, you know, what, it, yeah, what, 
you know, what are some things that make um, McCovey Chronicles so so different, aside from you know from being Giants based uh, than other uh, Espionation blogs, for example? Uh, you know, I'm I'm not. I mean, basically, the main difference is that I, I try unsuccessfully at times, often even to be to be funny. I mean, that that's kind of you know my shtick is, yeah. is I want to make people laugh, but I I also want to really think things through i want to be reasoned um and when i'm not reasoned when i'm just reacting with the, the passion of a uh, you know motion crazed fan that I, I explicitly say that um but i, I really you know I, I, if i'm gonna say look i think aaron rowan just doesn't have a place on the team i'm really gonna try and back that up with some sort of logic rather than dude sucks i took my family to the game and he struck out <laughs> you ruined my night you know what i mean it's, it, so i, I want to combine you know, the, the humor and the logic into something that that's funny, but it also makes you think, you know, something like that. Right? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that was funny. You should have just uh, you should have just uh, written that, and and, and and I would have commented on it and liked it. You no, know, I've I've got I've got a post like that that that's saved in in uh, my drafts folder at SB Nation. So <laughs> if I'm having a busy day, I can just you know click post. Aaron Rowan ruined my night. That'll save me some time. You should yeah, you should just post it every day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, something like that. Well, you know, a couple more things though, before I want to let you go. Um, you know the Giants. Uh, the Giants are, uh, you know, obviously defending world champions, and and uh, you know, the, uh, pretty much, pretty much the whole team is back. Um, I'm sorry. What, what was that part? Uh, could, could you repeat that part? Sure. Yeah, I said. I said. You know, the Giants are defending world champions, obviously. And I, I know. I just wanted to hear you say it. Again. <laughs> I didn't know you were kidding for a second. No, sorry. Just kidding. Um, yeah. No. No. The. Uh, you know, there's uh, pretty much the whole team is back, and you know. Uh, there's reason to believe that, that the Giants are, are, are going to be successful, uh, you know, yet again this year. Uh, you know, it, in terms of, of uh, you know, I mean, your eyes and the and the in the eyes of, of fans of McCovey Chronicles and Giants fans in general, what is a realistic expectation for the team this year? I, I think if they stay healthy, they've got a real complete team. Uh, this is the first time since you know, maybe 2003, 2004, uh, where I've looked at the lineup and I've said, okay, you know, that that looks that looks okay. Uh, whereas in, in you know, in those previous years, that was with Bonds. You know, you look at a Barry Bonds lineup and you go, okay, you know, this team's ready to compete on the offensive side. Um, so I think, you know, adding Cody Ross, Pat Burrell, and Buster Posey um, throughout the season really transformed the lineup into something that isn't that bad. And combined with the pitching, it has the potential to be, you know, pretty special as we saw last year. Um, it, the, the thing is, the, is injuries. I mean, that's you can't predict it. You can't get too cocky. Um, you see what the Phillies are going through with Chase Utley. Um, they have a, just a fantastic team on paper, but once you start picking players off, um, you know Chase Utley goes down or player X goes down, it, it becomes a totally different situation. And I think with the Giants, the Giants were so lucky with injuries last yeah. year. I mean, it seems like I just had a little thing up today where every player who went down last year, it, it opened up an opportunity for someone who performed even better. Um, Mark DeRosa went down, which eventually led to the Giants acquiring Pat Burrell. Um, Aaron Rowan goes down, Andres Torres steps in. Uh, Jeremy Affelt and Dan Runzler are injured at the same time, and, if, and that leads to a trade for Javier Lopez, who pitched like Mariano Rivera for two months. Huh. It, it was crazy. All the injuries that they had you know, really improved the team, uh, and that's not going to happen this right. year. I mean, they, you know, they need to, to hope for sustained health, and it's, it's tricky to do that with, with pitchers in general, uh, much less young pitchers. Well, I guess old pitchers get hurt, too. It's kind of a fallacy, but yeah, it's all about the injuries, and if they stay healthy, they should be pretty good. Is there any, you know, I mean, if, if things uh, shouldn't go right for the Giants this year, is there any chance that they could, you know, uh, bring in a Javier Lopez again, or, or Ramon Ramirez again, or someone like that, to fill the you know, to fill a hole and stuff like that? Yeah, always. I mean, 
for all the all the grief I've, I've given to Sabian over the years, he, he really one of his best assets is that he's willing to take it with the roster uh, midseason. Sometimes it can drive you nuts, as, you know, when he's trading a young pitcher for Latroy Hawkins or something like yeah. that. But uh, you know, he's not going to sit in his hands. So whatever the Giants need, uh, he'll figure out uh, something to do it. And you know, if, if the ownership group isn't going to give him a lot of money, he'll figure out a way to to get a player who doesn't cost a lot. Um, you know, he's pretty um, pretty malleable. He'll he'll uh, he'll get someone on the fly for sure. Yeah, and here, hey, listen. The last thing I want to ask you, uh, you know, everyone, everyone looks at Brian Wilson's beard, and they, and they, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is the fear of the beard, you know, uh, uh, stuff like that. How did that all come about? How did the whole fear of the beard thing uh, come about, aside from Brian Wilson and Sergio Romo simply just growing their beards? I, that's basically it. I mean, it was, you know, he he had the beard, and he, I, I don't think he explicitly said it. I think he he said, you know, maybe in the clubhouse, I'm not shaving until we're eliminated. And the beard just kept growing freakier and freakier. And then, you know, of course, he's dying it, which is, you know, extra freaky. And he, he started getting this look going. And Sergio Romo, uh, he came up with his own, you know, kind of this weird Sultan beard kind of yeah. kind of look. And it, it, it just it just stuck. And then, you know, obviously, as it starts getting closer to the postseason and into the postseason, fans are going to start bringing their signs and things like that. It, it just became a, uh, a thing that that caught on. Um, but it was it was really very organic. I mean, it wasn't. I don't think it was Brian Wilson saying, "You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to have my own little uh, shtick and everyone's going to follow it." It it just kind of came about. And I mean, now you got to give Brian Wilson credit. I mean, he really stuck with it because that beard is freaky now. Yeah. That, that's a it's a good looking beard. Now. Is there any chance that he? I mean, you know, um, ever is there any chance ever that he uh, that he cuts it ever ever ever? Yeah, I don't know. I could see him uh, getting. I, I remember reading years ago the offer that Gillette had into ZZ Top. Um, wow. It was like a standing $1 or $2 million offer to go on a commercial and shave the beard. Um, and I could figure <laughs> Brian Wilson being at home one day and just that thing just itching or, you know, he, he finds a uh, uh, he finds a cashew in the beard and, and gets grossed out and just says, you know what, this thing's got to go. And then him leveraging that into uh, some sort of million-dollar endorsement deal with Gillette. I, I could see that because, I mean, they, I don't know. I see people with beards like that, and I don't know how – um, how they do that for for that long? I mean, when I grow a beard, it gets just a little puffy, it just starts driving me nuts. So um, I could see him very, maybe not soon, but within the next year or so, getting rid of that thing. Yeah, I think he has to. He has to. But uh, you know, whether he doesn't or do, whether he does or doesn't, it's still a, it's still a fun thing. And hey, listen, Grant. Uh, you know, thanks so much for doing this. And uh, and everyone, everyone, if you want to follow Grant and McCovey Chronicles on Twitter, uh, you can follow them at at McCovey Cron and. And Grant, uh, you know, keep up the good work, and uh, we hope to talk to you soon. Thanks, I really appreciate it. This was fun. Yankees beat writer of the Star Ledger, Mark Carrig. Mark, what's going on, man? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good, and you know, obviously, as spring training uh, is is about to end, uh, there's a lot of uh, you know, obviously, Joe Girardi and the Yankees management are uh, are gathering, you know, everybody together and making final decisions. Uh, you know, as of right now, Mark, uh, what's the big story? Well, I think uh, going into camp, or, or leaving camp, I should say, it's sort of seeing how 
these decisions play out. I mean, I think a lot of the decisions that the Yankees have to make on their roster have to do with places where they're trying to get creative and patch from holes. And so clearly we saw that rotation back end specifically with you know, Freddie Garcia, um, and Ivan Nova getting those spots. And well, there was a lot of talk, a lot of discussion within the organization about how to attack that problem and what they ultimately decided you know, to gather as much inventory as they could and make the best of the situation. Uh, Ivan Nova certainly helped by having a really good spring, especially closing it off. But I think he helped himself even more just in the second half of last season with what he did in brief call-up and also what he did um, in AAA. It was a pretty good body of work. So Nova got, got that slot. And you know, Freddie Garcia, with what he showed last year, being able to throw the innings. And they weren't very good innings, granted, but he was able to throw the innings. And went with that decision there. And you know, Bartolo Colon, it's almost like they're playing with fat money with him. You know, I really don't think they had very many expectations for Cologne. And, you know, the day he walked into camp, I don't think many people who were just observing there had many expectations for him. And that's been quite the story. So I think the big thing is seeing how some of these creative problems, creative solutions that they've come up with the and end up working out. So I, I feel like that's going to be traveling storyline in the middle of the season when we'll have a clearer picture of what this team is going to do, who's going to be on. Uh, I just think that's what they end up doing is start getting enough pictures. Something not to be forgotten. I just think that situation is going to be something and Mark, you know, do you think that that the move at the um, Bartolo Colon in the bullpen is the right move? You know, it's funny in the press box. Uh, there's been some back and forth on this. I was talking to a couple of colleagues about it. I kind of like the move, you know, and, and I like it because I think the Yankees in the house think that maybe Cologne's stuff plays up there, and that you know, with a relief role, it might take less of a toll on his body, and they might be able to exert more value from him. Now, on the flip side, he's pitching really well in the spring, and, and there's certainly a side that can be argued where you know, he's the hot hand, and go with it as long as you can, because it might be a perishable asset. So I, I can certainly see that point as well, but I feel like he's got a better shot of, and maybe keeping that body a little bit healthier with the workload in the bullpen. I realize he's never done it before, and that's certainly a wild card, but mm-hmm. yeah, the stuff plays up, they might have something there. And the other thing is, it almost doesn't matter one way or the other. If Garcia falters, if he goes out there for a couple of starts and gets hit really, really hard, and for whatever reason, you know, his stuff's just not playing, maybe his lost gift to the point where it's an untenable situation. That the fact that Garcia is there, or I'm sorry, the fact that Cologne is there at arms reach, I think that's the biggest thing to keep in mind here. That, that situation is going to be fluid, and the, the thing that I think they did well in this situation to do was to keep all their assets under their control. And so I think the Yankees deserve credit for that. They found these guys and found a way to keep them all in-house, and now they have choice, and really that was the ultimate goal. Um, so, bullpen, rotation, I mean, that situation can change in a heartbeat. I think the more important point is that he's there, ready to go if they need him. And, uh, and part of me thinks like that's going to be a, a continual process here as, as the season begins. 
And speaking of stuff, um, you know, I think I think it was you who actually reported, or no, it was Danny Nobler who reported that Phil Hughes' of velocity on his fastball has dropped uh, significantly. I mean, is there anything? Mm-hmm. Is there anything to is, you know? Is there anything to buy out of that? I mean, is it you know, does it make sense to worry? Is it is it true even? I, I think you chalk that under. I mean, we we all say this, and I know people. As much as we say this, people still do it. Like I, I feel like when people get. You know, have a few drinks at the end of the night, and the last feeling so good, and he goes, "Ah, oh, I'm never drinking again." And then we go out and drink again, and you know, <laughs> we go to training, and we go, "Oh, you can't believe in these stats." And then guess what we do? You end up believing the stats. Mm-hmm. You end up believing what you're seeing there. And I feel like in Phil's case, some of that just may be it's spring, and you really don't know what to make of any of this stuff. You know, Danny's report, I, I totally buy into that, and talking to scouts. A lot of them were saying the same thing, but you know, some other scouts that I speak with pretty regularly were saying, I think they think it's more an issue of still just throwing a lot of cutter and working on that pitch. And because he's been cutter heavy, there hasn't really been a large struggle with that. Now, what they've charted, yes, velocity. But with the student scouts that I've spoken to, they don't seem to think it's an issue per se. Is it something to keep an eye on? I think I, I, absolutely. Um, it, it's a lot more interesting when you're two or three starts in that velocity hasn't been the same. But again, a few of the that talked were saying that this is a matter of him working on a pitch and just throwing a lot of cutters. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember last year, uh, I think Sabathia had like a just, I think he had one of the worst um, ERAs in spring training. I'm not sure if it was a velocity drop, but then he ended up having a, a great season. Hey, Mark, you know, I wanted to ask you about another pitcher in the rotation. Before we talk about some other uh, topics, A.J. Burnett. Sure. A.J. Burnett, I mean, uh, what is there to say? He's had, you know, I mean, he's he's been talked about a lot. A lot of people think it's a good move to put him as number, as number two starter. I want your opinion on that, Mark. I think one thing that happens, uh, I'm glad you asked that. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time explaining this sometimes, especially with it's just my friends or, you know, my, my brother is a huge baseball fan. I'm just talking to my friends about baseball and, and about decisions like this. You can never underestimate how important it is to keep the egos in line in that room. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy they've got $50 million left in his contract. He's going to be around. I think that two or three, I mean, that's one of those decisions, I think, in the game where a lot of it's just ego, you know? Mm-hmm. They're going to get rough the amount of starts. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think that AJ and Phil, when you go back to back off the season, give you like a completely different look or anything. So there's not even to me like a strategic reasoning for that. I, I know managers talk about wanting to back guys up sometimes, left, right, uh, want to back guys up and you might have a little bit of repertoire than the guy in front of him. And I can understand that because when you talk to hitters, they'll tell you that that kind of thing has an effect on them. You know, slaw baller one day, fastball guy the next. But, but in this case, I feel like this is one of those decisions where it's more important to keep the guy happy. Mm. And, you know, I know AJ won't say it publicly necessarily, but I'm sure that, that distinction is important to him. In mm. fact, we're doing a story about it uh, during the World Series in 2009 when the Yankees paid all that money for those two to be an insurance policy. And the way they're in terms of policies that leave back AJ up with CC and in 09 when both of them very well, I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but I don't think they ever took losses in back-to-back starts that first year. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I must say it taught me, and that had been a source of pride for him. So, you know, with decisions and the rotation and the order and batting lineup and all that stuff, I think a lot of it is making sure you keep people in that room happy. There's a lot of it managing is lots of ego management. And to me, that's what it takes to kind of settle his mind and let what you do. Especially when, to me, the difference isn't huge. Yeah. And, Mark, I want to ask you a little bit about the bullpen. And, uh, you know, it, uh, they signed Pedro Feliciano to a, to a, to a, a three-year deal. Or I think it was a two-year deal with an option or, or whatever it was. And he's, and he's now injured. Um, you know, the bullpen is, is expected to be a strong point. Uh, what does it look like as of right now? I think it could be a strong point for them. Soriano certainly proved last year and only some flashes of it, but he's very, very, very good. And Mariano Rivera is Mariano Rivera. It's really amazing to watch it. You keep expecting for there to be some kind of drop-off. and It's really hard to find too many signs of that right now. So I feel like they've got a pretty good situation there. Feliciano the durability he's had in the last couple of years, despite the workload, you look at the results and lights out. That's a deep bullpen. And Java Chamberlain, uh, he talks a lot about feeling comfortable in that role, and I, and I tend to believe him there. I, I feel like it might do him some good. I mean, this is really, uh, he's coming into the season knowing exactly what he's going to be. And I don't think that's happened often for him. So. David Robertson continues to strike a bunch of guys out. That's always been a nice tool for them. And I'm sort of interested to see how Cologne adds to this mix. Uh, We already talked the other day about wanting to use him like Alfredo Aceves. Aceves was hugely valuable for them in 2009, and and his injury issues in 2010 ended up coming back to bite him. I mean, Sergio Mitre ended up in that spot, and it wasn't really as good. So that, that might... An interesting thing to keep an eye on too. If Cologne indeed stays in the bullpen for a while, I'd be interested to see exactly how they use that. Mm-hmm. Use, use him, and you know, that's going to obviously have an effect on the other guys. I mean, mm-hmm. If he can soak up innings all of a sudden, you're not having to go back to back with some of those guys as often. Maybe they're a little bit fresher. Maybe you know they've got more left in their arms towards the end of the year, and that's be a huge deal. And you mentioned a Sergio Mitre before. Uh, you know, they just traded him to the Brewers for Chris Dickerson. And there's been talk about Chris Dickerson uh, replacing Granderson on opening day. But Chris Dickerson, uh, I think he he just got injured. I mean, what is what is? Uh, and speaking of Granderson, I mean, how is that how is that all working? About uh, Granderson. Well, Granderson, we learned today, um, he's been taking swings with the bat. He's going to take batting practice tomorrow. Um, and, and really, they're going to have to decide soon on him. If, if he gets through the session tomorrow, what we'll typically do is wait um, until the next day, see how he feels then. And if he's feeling okay, they might put him back in the program. He could make it to opening day. Uh, it feels like, I think the other day, Curtis said it was 50 50. It seemed like hearing people today that it might be a little bit more than that. But mm-hmm. really, they're not going to know too much about it until Tuesday at the earliest, is my guess. And that's when they're ultimately going to have to make a call. Um, and then Dickerson, Dickerson, uh, they're still trying to determine whether he's got a mild strain of his hamstring or if this is cramping or just some kind of issue like that. And he's been nagged by injuries um, the last year, really. And he even dealt with some during camp when he got beat out for the center field job over there. Um, and uh, ended up being a fourth outfit that ultimately became extendable. So 
Uh, again, he's another wait-and-see situation. I feel like they'll know a little bit more about him tomorrow. But Curtis, I mean, that's a team that's going to go right down to the end, in my view. And, you know, all you can do with those kind of things is sort of wait and see how his body responds. Yeah, and, you know, I was... I was, it's funny because I was at Yankee Stadium today, and I was looking at the, you know, obviously, obviously, I mean, you know this, Mark, but for people who don't, they have a huge mural of, uh, of you know, of all the prominent players' uh, faces and number on the side of, of Yankee Stadium, and Granderson is, I, I think he's one of the, I think he's like, I think he's like right next to Jeter and like Spathy or something. So if someone's in that position, if someone's right there, you gotta, be, you gotta be healthy and play every day. <laughs> but Mark, Mark, you know, you know, this has been a huge topic of the whole uh, spring training, and it's kind of getting annoying, to, you know, to be honest. So I don't even want to ask you, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Uh, Jesus Montero um, is obviously, you know, there's there's no reason to have him on the, on the opening day roster, um, except for the fact that he's ready. But there's no there's no rush. So you know, what is the situation for you know for not only Montero but Manny Bonuelos and, and Batances, all these guys going back to uh, to AAA and Double A, and how does how does that situation play out in terms of uh, of their uh, you know, um, ETA and everything like that. Well, I just feel like the Yankees are going to be prudent with those guys, especially the pitchers, Manuelos and Stellan um, Batanzas. These guys just don't have the innings under their belt to go up be on an opening day roster anywhere right now. And that's just the reality of development in 2011. And they're not going to risk throwing those guys out there when A, they may not be totally ready, and B, they physically might not be able to handle the rigor, at least according to their system of how they bring players up. You can quibble with that all you want. And ultimately, we don't know what the impact what the impact truly is about you know, pitch counts and whatnot. I mean, yes, you can make the argument that a lot of that is completely arbitrary and you'd be right. However, I mean, they've got huge investments in these guys. I mean, that's a huge thing, and they're going to take the prudent route. So I, I wouldn't expect to see them... You know, anywhere around the Bronx, so if, you know something catastrophic happens, and, mm-hmm. you know they're absolutely forced to do it. But I mean, if you're a Yankee fan, be excited about the fact that those guys are showing great signs. You know Andrew Blackman's in that group as well. But if they're going to be in major leagues, it won't be till real late in the season, maybe somewhere around the second half. And even then, you know, I, I just don't see them playing prominent roles quite yet. Manuelos has been extremely impressive, and the thing that, that strikes. I think strikes me is just he's got such tremendous poise for somebody that age. It's like just isn't phased by any of it. So you know, those are all good signs. I think it's just a hair too early for them. And you know, I think a lot of that applies to Jesus Montero. And mm-hmm. you know, this is a very small sample size in the spring. But if you toss that out and just look what he did in Triple A, you know, you'll hear a lot of people talk about the improvements he made defensively. I'm not sure he's an adequate major league catcher quite yet, but at least he's shown signs that he may get there, and that wasn't necessarily the case before. I think when I talked to scouts before about Montero, they're a lot faster to sort of dismiss him as a major league catcher. Um, I talked to a long-time, long-time scout the other day, said that Montero should have A-pluses for effort and A-pluses for improvement he's made in a short time, but you know, he still needs more time to do that. And, and the best way to do it, you know, I think a lot of people do is to have that guy play every day. And so it, that to me is what the Yankees are going to probably do here. And they've got a guy in, in Gustavo Molina that you know, he has, a, has had a cup of coffee in the big leagues and it's certainly not an ideal situation, but you know, really you're looking at, you know, one of those guys for like a month, month and a half, mm. figures if he gets healthy by then, he'll probably be a viable option. 
you know, I, I feel like, I mean, a lot of this is you know, the, the manager of this team. I mean, he's got a style and his value is a known commodity. And that's yeah. something to keep in mind. Francisco Cervelli, for all of his, you know, foibles, I guess, for lack of a better word, I mean, for all of his drawbacks and shortcomings, the tactics, he's a familiar commodity. And, you know, the guy who manages this baseball team, that's something he values. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them sort of ride it out with Gustavo Molina or they feel like they can upgrade maybe take somebody off of someone's roster that didn't want a job somewhere in spring. You're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff going on here as camp closes. But you know, whoever it is, you figure that guy will be there for like five or six weeks mm-hmm. and then it's about to come back. And again, like you said at the start of this, there's no rush at all with Montero. There shouldn't be. You know? And I don't think it's their best interest to do that. You put him up in the major league and expose him, all of a sudden his value trade-wise goes down. Yeah. You know? I mean, be, I think a lot of the allure of prospects is, is, is that sort of hope. And so you know, that's sort of like if you can keep him shielded, so to speak, from you know, maybe being exposed a little bit early, maybe that, that's something mm-hmm. to preserve his value. It obviously helps his development as well, just by being in the minors and continuing to do what he does because, again, a lot of the folks that I've talked to have said a lot of encouraging things about the path that he's on, mm-hmm. especially defensively. Yeah, Mark, you know, uh, before I let you go on, there's a couple more things I want to ask you. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's about Montero again. And, and, you know, I mean, there's – I think you just said something about his value, obviously, and how his value is, you know, at, at this point, you know, at, at the height of, you know, at the height that it is, you know, if, if he's exposed to the majors, you know, it, you know I, I can gradually lower. But since it is that high, is there any chance in the, you know, in the near future or in the, you know, you know, I'm in the future that the Yankees will possibly uh, trade him for – for someone not to add to the rotation, or even you know someone else, is it is that a possibility? Of course it is. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely think it's a possibility. We saw he was included in the package for Cliff Lee mm-hmm. um, last last summer, and you know, teams are always going to want that kind of commodity. And you know, if you want to see how valuable it is to have an offensive money catcher, look at this Yankee dynasty. Mark mm-hmm. Posada gave him so much value in a position that you never get that kind of offense from. And so Montero brings that sort of promise. But the other thing is, you know, the only reason Montero isn't a DH or first baseman yet is because he's here. He's blocked. Well, if you're another franchise, we can easily make that move. So, I mean, that opens up a whole wealth of possibilities mm-hmm. as far as trade players go. And I think the Yankees would be foolish not to explore that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that said, the subs I get is it's going to have to be a frontline guy. I'm not just going to give him away in panic. And that's the one thing that Brian Cashman, I think, has shown. He'll sit and wait you out. You know, he doesn't... I feel like it takes a lot of discipline to do that. And Cashman, in my view, is a pretty disciplined guy. So I don't see him moving Montero just for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's... I mean, you know, you know how it goes. This, the trade market, it's an evolving thing. You know, and really, it's really hard to tell whether Montero is a play uh, now because mm-hmm. not sure what the market is. But as soon as that starts to get clearly defined, my guess is the higher quality an arm there is, the more likely Montero is a guy who can be in play for that, and as he should be. And he's the biggest chip right now in the system. And I know that well, they're not going to be eager to deal the pitching, that's for sure, especially mm-hmm. because they've got depth in the catching position besides Montero. So yeah. to me, that makes sense. Hey Mark, the last thing, the last thing I want to ask you uh, before I want to let you go, uh, you know, 
obviously, obviously, um, you watch the Yankees play every day. Um, you know, you have uh, one of the best. Uh, I mean, one of the best uh, coverages of the Yankees. What is your uh, prediction for the Yankees this year? I mean, you know, what is what are the expectations of, of the Yankees? I'm, I'm in your mind. Well, that's, uh, I, I haven't given it like a lot of thought, to be honest with you. But I guess just. When I look at this team, I think they're a playoff team. I think they're still going to score a ton of runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like when you look at the regular season, even if you might be an incomplete team in other areas, which I believe this team is, mm-hmm. okay, if you've got the bats, you, you can cure a lot of ills in the regular season. I mean, that's what win it over 162 games. So I, I feel like they're a playoff team. Let's put it this way. If, if they end up beating out Boston for the division somehow, I wouldn't be shocked by it at all. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, these guys have the firepower. And yeah, the Boston add, absolutely they did. Are they better? Absolutely they are. But to me, in this division, run scoring is where it's at. And the Yankees are no worse this year than they were last year. Last year they led the league and run scored. So I, I think, again, if they steal this division, it wouldn't shock me. But... Once they get to the playoffs, I think they've run into the same problems that they have for the last two years. Two years in a row that they've reached the playoffs after missing 08, they've been pitching short. Even they won a whole championship in 09 with three starters. So Mm -hmm. I think they're pitching short again, most likely. And so that's what's going to end up hurting them. And I feel like that's where even if Boston makes it as a wild card, to me, they're a little scarier in in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But again, like I feel like we're a playoff team simply on the bats. But what will separate them really is whether they get AJ Burnett 2010 or AJ Burnett 2009. I think he's huge, and the other one that's huge is Hughes. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, he's an 18 game winner, and he's looked, you know, looked really good in the first half last year. And it's almost like people are taking for granted that this guy who's still a kid is just going to go out and repeat that season and. I feel like that's a dangerous assumption to make. And that's not a knock on Phil. I think you know, ability-wise and, and mentality-wise, I mean, he's equipped to be a very good starter in this game. But keep in mind, he's still really young, too. And he's not yeah. a completely finished product. And so, to me, you can't really bank on that completely. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where the key is, is, is. We've talked so much about the four and five starter here. The real issue is the two and three starter here. Well, that's the big thing, and, and how those guys go this, you know, as the season wears on is what's going to determine whether this is merely just a playoff team or if it's a World Series contender. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, hey, listen, Mark. Uh, I, you know, I, I completely agree. I think I think a lot of times, uh, even Sabathia, even Sabathia gets undershadowed. You know, I mean, everyone says the Yankees just have a horrible rotation. It's it's not true. They have they have some guys who could definitely uh, pitch well, and and there's a lot of guys who might even uh, do better than that. And uh, you know, obviously, I'm sure you're ready and excited uh, to get back to to uh, to New York, New Jersey, and get the season started. And uh, you know, but thanks so much for doing this, Mark. And it's it's great to talk to you, man. Yeah, no, no, my pleasure, my pleasure. Take care. Have a good season. Yeah, you too. I'll see you there. All right. Take care. Well, welcome back to the podcast. We hope you guys enjoy the interviews. Uh, Matt, you know, a storyline that we didn't cover earlier was the Mike Sweeney retirement. And, uh, 
because we need to talk about the Royals extensively every week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's nothing much to say about it other than uh, good luck to Mike Sweeney. I mean, this is a guy who uh, you know, a lot of fans, a lot of bitter feelings towards him. Uh, uh, towards a lot of players, but you know, look, it's with any player. I don't think you can blame them for the contracts they sign. There. I mean, if the teams didn't offer him, they wouldn't sign him. Yeah. And this is a guy who. Uh, and I don't agree that it was a below-market contract, but this is a guy who basically was healthy, then he signed the contract and immediately got hurt. He wanted to play. Uh, and, you know, look, it does make him a better player that he was such a great guy, but it makes him more likable, and uh, I think some people have hopefully gotten over their bitterness towards him. Uh, here's a guy, it was fun. He finally got to the playoffs in his last season. He got a hit in his only at-bat. Yeah. And uh, I mean, this is a guy who was part of some Royals teams that had terrible pitching, uh, but he was a great hitter i mean he had a couple seasons with over 400 woba and uh, good luck to mike sweeney i think he's the kind of guy who i can see sticking around the organization as a coach yeah eventually uh he uh I mean, he's a guy people not a lot of people maybe know this sweeney uh learned spanish so that he could talk to the wow. latin players in his teams this is that's not something that a lot of guys would do and uh uh especially you know millionaire pro athletes and uh he's a he's a he's a good guy uh you know you really only have three really good seasons uh and, you know, but I'll say this uh, in terms of things. I can actually see that being uh, Billy Butler's future, not in terms of injuries, hopefully. But I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of their plate approaches. Yeah. Uh, they they have good but not great. Uh, I mean, they have good strikes and such, but not a lot. Not they have a good walk rates, but not great ones, right? But they're really good hitters for average. And once Butler adds a little power, I can see them. I can see that. Uh, see them being very similar, uh, sort of slow, uh, defensively challenged, but excellent right-handed. Uh, hitters for average with above average power and uh, good luck to Mike Sweeney. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, it was really, it was really, it's one of those things where you know you take for granted. This guy was was, was a staple. He was a constant in Major League Baseball throughout his career. And you, you know, Matt, I know, I know you read this, uh, the uh, the Jeff Sullivan piece on Look at Landing about Mike yeah. Sweeney. And you know, this guy was this guy was great. He was a great human being. He is a great human being. He's a great person. He had a great career. And um, wow, I mean, it, well, sorry. You know, sorry, go, go ahead. It's just sad that he retired, but, you know, but things happen like that. You know, people retire. Well, I don't think it's sad. I mean, I think here's a guy who probably, should, you know, in a way should have retired. I mean, he was done years ago. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to tell a pro athlete to retire. They're going to know. And again, teams don't have to get married. This is a guy who's a non-roster invite, and teams loved him so much. Yeah. I heard stories for for uh, the 2009 season and 2008 when he made uh, – he, he basically – when he came over to the Mariners, or I can't remember, 2008 or 2009, but yeah. – he he would go out like when they had Brannion. It must have been two thousand eight, where he said, "I am gonna." No, it's two thousand nine. Said, with "I am gonna." Yeah. I was gonna make Brannion. He would go out there. I mean, Sweeney was never a a great first baseman. It's like I heard this quote once that uh, no one would ever say he was a good uh, fielder, but that you know, they said, "I know this." You know, Sweeney's as good as he can be in the because he worked his ass off. Yeah. And I think that's and so he would go out there with Russ Brannion, never had as good a fielder, and just. You know, he said, I'm going to make Brandy into a gold glove fielder just by going out and taking fielding drills with him. People really liked him. But the thing is, a little bit, we kind of lose how good he was um, for, you know, a few seasons there. I mean, a guy who was a 10th round pick was a catcher. They finally figured out wasn't cut out for that. Yeah. Um, that, that, you know, to have a 400 Woba uh, two different seasons uh, is pretty impressive. And I remember I in my post on him, it's called uh, Sweeney's Greatest Hits, where I talk about it's three his biggest hits, but I talk about this other hit that he had in the, against the A's. And it's actually talk about this in Moneyball where Billy Bean says, calls him the best hitter in the league. I mean, that's, you don't remember this, but 10 years ago, that's how people thought of Mike Sweeney. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, he, 
he was a he's a great player, and it's you know it's, it's also a celebration you know to see him go. Out. I mean he he had a, he had a very good career, and we're gonna miss him. And uh, with that, Matt, uh, shall shall we wrap this podcast up? Let's do it. Uh, yeah, to so, to baseball, to baseball, to opening day. We'll we'll see you guys next week. Uh, but yeah, you know, the season's finally here, and we're all really excited. And uh, I'm into that. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean, the bare necessities, that's why a bear can rest at ease with just the bare necessities of life. Yeah, with just the bare necessities of life. Yeah, man!